Hey, Josh, Sweden, baby. Glad I could get you on the phone. Yeah, no, this is just one of the producers here at Warner Brothers. Just going over uh, some of your rewrites to the to the Justice League movie, first of all. Loving it. Great stuff. We here at Warner Brothers, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we, we've come to the conclusion that part of the Marvel formula that's so successful is just, you know, all the quippy dialogue and the one-liners that kids really love that, uh, kids love that shit. But, uh, but the Gal Gadot's come to us with some, uh, some, uh, some questions about the script rewrites that, uh, there's some concerns. We just want to go over here. No, I, I, I know she's, uh, not American, but, uh, well, I mean, she seems to speak the English pretty good, Joss. I don't know if that's, uh, well, Joss, I've been looking at the script, and I, and I do, I am seeing here that, uh, like, uh, it seems like, uh, maybe every other scene, somebody's landing with their face in, uh, in Wonder Woman's boobs. Well, no, no, Joss, baby, I, I, I get that it's comedy, and, no, yeah, no, we did. We did, uh, we did bring you on in the middle of production to make the movie funnier. Yeah, no, I, I no, I, I totally believe that you know what you're doing with comedy, uh, Josh. Not, not questioning you there. It's just, uh, you know, uh, it, it seems to be happening in the script a lot. Okay? Oh, yeah, okay, no, I hear you. Uh, uh, well, I don't know if I'd really say that people landing with their faces and Wonder Woman's boobs is... Uh, what I'd call peak comedy, Joss. I mean, I don't know, man. It just, it seems like this is a joke you do a lot. You know, maybe we could just, you know, scale it back to, uh, to maybe one, one person landing with their boobs. I mean, their face in their boobs, you know? Yeah, no, I think the Steppenwolf landing with her face, his face in her boobs is a bit much. Yeah, no, we could cut that one. I, I don't, I don't know how we could even justify Superman landing with his face. In her boobs. If I'm if I'm keeping it real with you, Joss. That one seems a little out there. You you want oh you want you want to change the one fight scene Zack Snyder shot where he headbutts her, only now he headbutts her in the boobs? Uh yeah I don't Joss, I don't really know where you're No Joss, Joss, could you just like scale back the number of people who put their face in Wonder Woman's boobs? That would be that would be great. No, sorry, Joss. I know, I know you don't take notes. I know you don't take notes, Joss. But uh, Gal Gadot is real upset about this. Uh, I'm gonna pretend like Joss. I need you to calm down. I need Joss. If this audio ever leaks and people hear you say that, they're gonna be very upset. I I don't think you should. I think this would be a very uh, bad thing to destroy Gal Gadot's career over, Josh. Joss, I, I'm not. Look, Josh, I'm not trying to tell you how to write your... I don't care if Jeff Johns said it was okay. I'm just saying, I don't think... Look, I got Patty, I got Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot sitting in the office with me here. And they they look pissed as hell, Josh. They look pissed as hell. So, you know, can we just... Can we just, you know, scale it back? Scale it back on the boobs. You know, a bit. And, uh... No, no, I, I look, look, Joss. I'm, I'm just gonna keep it real with you here. Uh, we need you to scale back the boobs. I know you don't take notes. I know. No, Ray Fisher's not here telling me to tell you this. I'm just, Joss. I need you to calm down, Joss. I, Joss, stop crying. Stop crying. Okay, 
See, you stop crying really fast there, Joss. That makes me think that those were crocodiles. Okay, Joss, I understand. Joss, please. Okay, you can shoot the scene with a double. You can shoot the scene with a double. No, Gal Gadot will not shoot the scene. Okay, look, you get one boob shot scene where, people, where one person lands in Wonder Woman's boobs, and you gotta shoot with a body double, okay? Okay, they still look pissed at me. They still look at me like they're pissed, Joss. Look, I think that's I think that's the best offer we're gonna get on this one, Joss. No, I'm not gonna ask a translator to come in here and re say everything I just said to Gal Gadot. She's sitting right here. She can hear us. She can she can he she knows what I'm saying, Joss. I don't. There's no language barrier. You, she 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 has spoken English in every movie she's ever made in America. I don't think that's Joss. I really think. Okay, look, Joss. The movie's got to be under two hours. Otherwise, there's no... Yeah, see, there's, there's just not going to be time for this many people to put their face in Wonder Woman's boobs. Okay? Are we good? We're good, Joss? Okay. Okay. Okay, good. Now, if you'll excuse me, uh, I have to have a very uncomfortable conversation with some women who look like they're going to hurt me. Okay, Joss? I'm... I'm going to pretend like you didn't make that comment. Welcome to the show. All right, and uh, welcome to Ruben Uncut. And I am once again back here. Uh, with Albert Milton. Uh, welcome back to the show, Albert Milton. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> now, uh, the reason I had you back on, of course, was so we, we could, it, uh, it felt like we didn't have enough time to really complete our conversation. There were so many more avenues of, of pop culture to, to go down, and we had briefly, we were on the verge of opening up a serious can of work. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a big, it's a big topic, you know, I mean, there's really, there's no beginning or ending to it. So, yeah. And we, we, uh, I do too, and I don't get to do it very often. So um, I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to actually turn my camera off and see if it improves any of our connection quality. Okay. Um, so far, it is going better than last time. Oh, that's um, good to know. That's good to know. But uh, I did hear one little warble there, which made me nervous. Uh, but uh, it might—I think it's a connection issue, though, not a sound issue. Uh, but anyways, uh, so uh, so yeah, we had just started to uh, discuss the DCEU, and before we before we get too far into it, I do just want to like—I'll be up front with you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you followed my Facebook when that uh, when some of those movies were coming out. Uh, I must have seen, I, I must have seen at least one or two posts. But, uh, so like Zach, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, I'll just start off by saying, and I'm not necessarily saying that's the first movie we, uh, cause I think there are a couple other DC movies we didn't touch on. Uh, but, uh, I will say, uh, that it, it is, that is like one of my big comfort movies. Okay. Like that movie got me through a very dark place in my life. And I will tell you that uh, it's very unlikely what I'm just saying is don't don't try and change my mind. I am interested. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am interested in hearing what you have to say. 
Don't expect me to be terribly moved. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair uh, because I I'm I'm in the opposite camp. You know, there I've tried to see why people love it, the people who love it, because they really seem to love it, mm-hmm. uh, and I just I can't I can't find myself uh, crossing over. Okay. Either. Well, uh, no, no problem, no problem. I don't I don't ask for conformity, but I'll be more than happy to explain <laughs> the things that I. Uh, that I love about it. Um, so, but yeah, uh, there were a couple other DCEU movies that uh, came out uh, before uh, before Justice League. Actually, there was only, uh, the two big ones in the middle. Uh, we, we briefly touched upon Suicide Squad. I never actually, what did you think of Suicide Squad? Oh, I didn't like it. Okay, I can, I can see that. Um, my love of the comic book um, did put me in a state of mind that was uh very positive to it just because it, it did in fact handle the characters fairly faithfully to the books but uh but upon numerous rewatchings, yeah it's uh they butchered the hell out of that movie yeah and you explained last time you know what happened with them trying to fuse two very different edits of the film into one mm-hmm. um and 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 i and i told you last time I mean, my biggest issue with the DCU as a whole is really shown in that movie and in, and in Aquaman, I would say, where they're movies that don't have any identity at all, really. They're, like, they're, they're not cohesive. Um, you I, know. Do have, I do have some thoughts on, on Aquaman as well. But, uh, but yeah, okay. So, yeah, continue what you were saying, though. Oh, that's, that's uh, you know, that's, that's my overarching. Like, when we first started in on this on this subject, Object, you know, just overall opinion on the DCEU and the continuity and everything. Yeah, I mean, my my issue is that it doesn't have a sense of overarching purpose and themes like the you know at least the first two phases of the MCU did. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, so what I would say to that is that like at the start, there, I mean, like if you watch specifically the Zack Snyder ones, they're the only ones that really carry through what their their themes are. Um, but at the same time, like there are ways the themes they trot the themes were supposed to be interplayed and cut into uh, some of the other movies. Um, Suicide Squad specifically, I mentioned before how like it was supposed to be an on ramp to Justice League. We were supposed to meet Steppenwolf in that one, right? And uh, all that stuff just got hacked out of it. And uh, so, like, there actually was a point where DC, the studios, were like, ah. We're going to try, basically they tried to course correct in the most ham-fisted, nonsensical ways possible. They, they decided, we're like, no, just, we've made a mistake. Start interfering with everything immediately. <laughs> and uh, that was actually um, after Ben v Superman is when apparently Jeff Johns got like uh, moved up in the company. It's vaguely telling that after Suicide Squad, I'm not Suicide Squad, it's vaguely telling that after um, after Justice League went so wrong for them that uh, Jeff Johns kind of got moved around. And then he got put more in like, now he mostly works on that uh, Stargirl show. Right, right. Which I've only seen a couple episodes of. It's like... I've seen the, I saw the first two seasons and I've started this, 
wait, wait, how many seasons? Are I don't know. I've started whatever the newest season is. And like, there's things I like about it. It's cute at moments, uh, but it's very CW. Right. Like, like it's, it's very, it's very clear how that show ended up on the CW. Like it also, it does not fit in with any of the other shows that were spawned out of the DC universe app uh, in terms of the way that it's made. Like all the other, the other shows from the DC universe app were all like, were all like kind of like, like they knew their audience was adults. Like DC was never at any point like, well, do kids read our comics? No. All right. Make the shows rated R on that thing. <laughs> and so, uh, like, I don't know if you, have you seen Titans? Yeah, I did see Titans, and I and I actually like most of it. I, I think it has its issues, mm-hmm. but um, there are elements that I, I really like, and I think that if they just tighten up their mm-hmm. their uh, their writing room a little bit, the next season could be really good. It's, I mean, they've got a lot of potential in that show. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's quite been realized yet but yeah um i mean there's a lot going on in it that i think is very promising and i like the cast i like everybody who's who's in it i mean i think everyone does a good job um their batman's a little weird you know i like their bruce wayne but yeah he is weird he is a bit of a different take (laughs) like he he feels he feels like he feels like the Bruce Wick. Like, have you ever heard that theory where like that uh, Alfred is Batman's real dad? Yeah. Uh, like, like his Batman feels like the Batman where that is true. Like, because <laughs> like at, at like various points you're just like, God, he seems like Alfred. He's yeah, different. he's he's definitely a, a different. I kind of like him just because I like that actor, but also because I I enjoy the idea of the um, old Bruce Wayne. You know, I liked that in Batman Beyond as well. I, I like the yeah. um, just the idea that he lives that long, and what kind of a person does he turn into? You know, <laughs> after mm-hmm. being Batman for an entire lifetime. <laughs> No, I can dig it. That that is, uh, yeah, like that. I I have enjoyed. I do enjoy when uh, when things touch on uh, on how bat on like aging Batman. Although I did feel like I did feel like the Dark Knight Rises kind of wrote themselves into a corner at one point. Like I don't know. Like they 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 basically point out the fact that he's got a problem with his knees. Yeah, and they give him that leg brace to like write themselves out of it. Yeah, they give him like bionic. uh... (laughs) Yeah, and like, but and like later, it's just like I feel like they don't address that when he gets out of the cave. I mean, I guess I could assume he's just using the leg thing again, but but uh, I don't know. That was one part I actually really liked. The Dark Knight Rises, but that was a part I was like, huh. I feel like they wrote themselves into a corner with the bad knees thing. I mean, I get it. Yeah, The Dark Knight Rises, I, I, I mean, I like the Nolan trilogy overall. Um, yeah. I don't think it's aged that well. See, but, I, I don't uh, know. I don't have a, really? I haven't. Yeah. It, uh, it's just not very timely anymore. I mean, you know, those movies, I mean, I guess that's fair. It was heavily, like, 9-11 influenced. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's very copaganda. <laughs> like, <laughs> Although um, I feel like the arc almost like so that so like that is a good point like a lot of people have felt said that like um 
in and especially the second movie, it feels like Batman is supposed to be the CIA. And then he certainly acts that way. <laughs> and like the thing that makes me think about that is that it makes it feel like the message of the third movie is 9-11 was an inside job. And like that's because like like the whole movie is basically like they lied in the second movie and it makes them vulnerable to um essentially Bane's uprising. Hmm. And then, and um that's sort of like the follow through it's like oh oh the the our outcomes imply that the means were not justified. Yeah, but I I don't think I don't know. I I don't, I didn't get 9/11 was an inside job. <laughs> Well, maybe I'm just more conspiratorially minded. I don't know. Maybe I'm being overly fraud there. But the point is essentially like something was an inside job. They used it to pass legislation that was harder on crime and put a lot of people in jail with less meat, with like uh, making it easier to convict them. And then the next thing you know, uh, someone shows up. It's like, oh, they lied about everything. So they could, so they could do, so they could, be more authoritarian so i don't know maybe 9-11 is inside job is a bit of a stretch but i feel like it has some of the same like concepts to that conspiracy sure yeah i mean i'm not discounting your points i'm just saying that i I didn't get that from the from when i watched it but it has been a while i may i may need to revisit those films i don't think i've seen them in the last five years Mm -hmm. yep those ones uh yeah, those movies also written by Jonathan Nolan and uh David Goy. Right. Yeah, I knew that. Um Okay, so David Goy is all over the place though. I know. And we we said we said last time, you know, he's he's either really good or he's not very good. <laughs> like because like he's attached to stuff like um that second Ghost Rider movie, but then also He's been writing the Sandman show on Netflix. Like, right. like yeah, it's like it's either really, really good <laughs> or like or like, oh my God. This will probably hold back Nicholas To be Cage fair. To be fair, Cage. the sand the Sandman does have thorough and direct oversight from Neil Gaiman. So like it's true. It's not gonna be, you know, no one's gonna be able to butcher it. It's <laughs> true. This is this is this is fair. Uh, but it is, I, I, I have noticed it is written by, uh, well, David Goyer and I forget his name, but the, the other guy who wrote the first Wonder Woman movie. Mm. Uh, something Hinstridge, I want to say. Interesting. I, I do not remember uh, his name properly. But uh, David, David Goyer is fascinating because like, if you look at, like, at his career, it's like, man, this guy, there was a period of time where this guy was writing almost all the superhero movies. Yeah. Be they good or bad. Yep. Goyer and uh, Jeff Loeb as a producer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have Jeff Loeb is someone who fills me with confusion. Um, Because, like, I don't know, maybe he's better off in TV. But, uh, but like, I used to, like, really be into Jeff Loeb because I read all his DC books and I was like, man, Mm -hmm. these are fucking great. and then I read his Marvel books and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I know. His Marvel work is not good. I mean, I kept forgetting that he wrote The Long Halloween. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, to be fair, like, Hulk Gray and Spider-Man Blue are pretty good, but, like, the more, the main series he wrote are, like, terrible, especially the Ultimate stuff. Like, oh, man. Have you read Ultimates 3? Yes, and it was horrible. And oh, and man. wasn't and wasn't he in charge of uh, Ultimatum or am I misremembering? Yeah, yeah, no, he was the main writer on Ultimatum. Yeah, which was garbage. Yeah, and those, <laughs> I mean, technically, those stories are even like linked by their events. Like, technically, Ultimatum is the sequel to Ultimates Three, like in terms of the continuation of the story. Yeah, well, and they I were just both quite bad. Like I, oh man, Ultimates Three is like epically bad, though. Like. There's just so much of it that when I was reading the book, I was like, God. No, that's the one with the sex tape, right? Yes. So yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> so like, it followed off of Mark Millar's Ultimates books, which for our listeners who don't know, the Ultimates are essentially the Avengers in the Ultimate Universe of, of, uh, of Marvel. Yeah, and, and that, uh, was, that was kind of the, the gritty, uh, yeah. the gritty alternate continuity. Yeah. And uh, if I'm being completely honest, like, honestly, the Mark Millar um, volumes of The Ultimates actually are some of my favorite Marvel comic books I've ever read. Um, To be fair, I'm a bigger DC person than a Marvel person. Fair enough, uh, yeah. um, But I was super into them because I liked how they wove in, like, this sort of, like, political awareness for, like, what the what the avengers would be and there's even that part later in the series where essentially like captain america starts giving nick fury shit for like being so like preemptive strike positive like there's i forget how the exchange goes but basically like nick fury says they're preparing for the next uh for the next war and captain america's like maybe that's why there's always a next war right something to that effect and uh, I don't know, I just really enjoyed that book. And um, I, it's also one of the reasons that the first Avengers movie uh, kind of like hit me slightly off because it's clear that they're adapting his run on Ultimates, but mm-hmm. just not doing a very like, like a very sterilized version. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, that's a great way to describe. Actually, I would say the whole first phase of the MCU was like sterilized ultimate marvel well except I, i'll be honest like uh, i i kind of wish we did get hippie jesus thor that would <laughs> oh man i i have a dream thor script that i wrote a couple of years ago um it was like a part of a writing exercise i was in where we were all like rewriting you know if we could imagine a popular film that we could rewrite um, and my idea took Thor to uh, Greenland and he would basically be existing for most of the movie as like a super strong guy that everyone thinks is crazy. And it was it was pretty influenced by, yeah, the Jesus Thor who was hanging out with Greenpeace and like yeah. protecting the environmentalists and stuff. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> it would have been great to see that in a movie. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I, I I was sad we didn't get that Thor because uh, that was actually the Thor that got me into the character of Thor. Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we could try something with Chris Hemsworth. Like I feel like they got to have a new idea for Thor fives now that Taika Waititi has apparently uh, said he's not going to do for Thor five. 
Yeah, and I, I between our last conversation and this one, I did actually get a chance to watch uh, Love and Thunder because oh, it's yeah? it's streaming now. Yeah, man, I don't know how I feel about it. Like there were there was a lot of stuff in that movie. I think could have been really really good if they had just been a little bit more serious, just briefly for just a few points in the film. It still could have been a comedy. It still would have been a love story. But man, I felt like so many moments that could have been good were just rushed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know? that is a very true thing of, uh, that's a big problem with the MCU uh, is, 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 is amazing. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, they shouldn't be funny. But uh, there is a major problem when the, when the jokes or humor interrupt something else you could be feeling. I will say, I thought, I appreciated that they didn't interrupt the gore, the God Butcher uh, introduction with too much humor. Uh, You know, I think they did, though, because when he was with the octopus or something and the carriage full of children and he was, like, doing some... No, I mean the... uh, no, I mean the part at the beginning where he has his or, uh, origin story. Ah, yeah. See, that I, I didn't have, have a problem with at all. I do wish they would have um, given us the scene from the comics where he was, like, cradling, you know, his dead. Like, I don't know. I, I'm glad they had that in flashbacks and, like, you know, we got to see him holding his daughter a few yeah. times. But um, in the comics, it was so striking. And you were, like, immediately you knew that this guy was going to be a big deal because he had such a great motive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I, I did like Gore. I, I do think he was the coolest Thor villain we've had, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this trend right now. I mean, I, as you know, I wasn't crazy about Multiverse of Madness, but I do like this trend right now where the MCU villains are just straight-up horror movie monsters. <laughs> you know (laughs) yeah no i can dig that but anyway i mean it's interesting because like that kind of calls back to like the beginning of of marvel comics where the heroes were all started off as uh mostly like horror monsters yeah i mean that's that's how the hulk uh, um you know was originally intended to be he was kind of supposed to be a monster comic but I'm talking about even before that, uh, like Namor was originally kind of a kind of a monster. Like he just he wanted to genocide all the earth. Yeah, he wanted the, to kill the surface. Yeah, I love all Namor, the land man. dwellers. <laughs> and then like the Human Torch originally started off as like uh, a robot. Like a, yeah, like a, but like also like a body horror thing where there was this guy. Well, it was a robot, but he didn't know he was a robot. And all he knew was that he was on fire. So he's like oh. running through the world, just like touching things and freaking out about it. See, the only the only comics I've read with like the OG Human Torch um, is when he's in the Invaders with Namor and Captain America. Makes sense. And in those comics, he definitely like is cool with his fire powers. He's not, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, what happened was... Um, Batman and Batman and Superman happened and then the guy they didn't call it it wasn't called Marvel at the time I think they were called Atlas uh they were like oh man these are the next big thing we need some superheroes what kind of characters do we already have 
And they were like, well, we got this guy who's on fire and we got this, uh, we got this guy <laughs> who's super strong and can fly. Perfect. Make them heroes. Yeah. What? That they're monsters? <laughs> well, maybe they can murder Nazis. Okay, we can do that. Yeah, that, that can work. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's, that's where their uh, heroes came from, actually was the, uh, and the thing people don't realize is that when Captain America first punched Hitler it was before we were in the war. Um, so it was actually a very political comic to make. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's one of the coolest things about um, Captain America as a as a piece of both propaganda and like encouraging mm-hmm. intervention. I mean, it, yeah, that was kind of a subversive um, comic book. Yeah, before Pearl Harbor, it was not a popular idea to get involved with that war. And so when they published that story, they were essentially make taking a stance like yeah america should be involved that's why he's captain america jack kirby man jack kirby that's so jack kirby has made a state his statement on politics is that he he's not a very political guy but what he does know is if someone says they're a nazi you punch that guy in the face (laughs) That's, that's that's damn good advice, you know. <laughs> that yeah, that's Jack Kirby. It's a shame. You. It's a shame that today somebody would argue with him on Twitter. Oh my God, people would so I much would, for the tolerant left. <laughs> I would be, I would feel so bad for Jack Kirby on on Twitter, man. I feel like people would like. I feel like people would be a dick. Oh yeah. yeah. I will say that's one thing I do. Like that's the one thing I have to respect about Rob Liefeld is that all day on Twitter it's just people tweeting at him about the fact he can't draw feet and he still keeps it together. Well, that's that's because drawing is only his side job. He has his primary job as a jeans model. Wait, what? Did, did you not know that he modeled for a I think it was Wrangler jeans or maybe it was Levi? I'm serious. I'll, I'll no, look it up. I, I believe you. I believe you. Um, hey, have you ever... So there's a Netflix documentary, and this is going to sound... I, I swear I'm bringing this back around to Rob Liefeld. But have you... There's this uh, Netflix documentary. Um, yeah, he... One second. That, he modeled for the Levi's 501 button fly jeans. Rob Liefeld, everybody. Anyway, wow. go on. Wow, button fly jeans. Button fly jeans. <laughs> also known as a male chastity belt. uh but let's see here uh yeah no so this is documentary on netflix and it's all about this old jewish couple who curated a porn store that primarily um provided pornography to the gay community Uh, i think it was called like circus of books or something okay but there's this part in the movie where like they're showing like like some of the porn stars from these movies and there's this one porn star who i was like oh man actually there was more than one i was like oh man Rob Liefeld really looks like porn stars from the late 70s or early 80s. <laughs> well, gay porn stars. Definitely. Like the haircut, sort of the shape of his face. It's like, ah, that was the look of that. Uh, so, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so Wonder Woman came out uh, yes. between, between those movies. And Wonder Woman is actually, uh, generally speaking, well liked. Yeah, it's, and it's and that's 
one of the few that I, I do like a lot in spite of the, the slow-mo. I understand that that was trying to maintain some kind of visual. Because it's so cheap and overused, man. I mean, like anytime you see, and I mean, it's not just slow-mo, it's any effect. Um, it just, they happen to do it a lot in DC movies because of Zack Snyder. Um, any I mean, special fair, effect like, That type of trend, though, was started by the Matrix and was done by a lot of people. And it's period. pretty pretty dated. Uh, <laughs> but like, I feel like Zack Snyder does it better than a lot of people. Like, I think like I recently does. rewatched all the Paul Verhoeven Resident Evil movies. And like, he does that shit a lot, too. But I do think that Zack Snyder's better at it than him. Just as a statement. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's overdone, man. And I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's See, I, abused. I don't know. I, they, they are abusive with the slow motion in, in these DC movies. I I would I don't know I, maybe it's the fact that I would rather see slow motion in in an action sequence than whatever the hell Paul Greengrass thinks he's doing. Like I like to be able to see you what know, I'm do, looking at. Do me a favor one of these times and look up the edited Wonder Woman fight scenes where they just sped up the slow motion scenes into real time. Okay. And tell me that the slow mo looks better because it's actually pretty cool. And I feel like in a lot of, the, especially Wonder Woman, because she's really the only one that we see that like has a fighting style, you know, um, it looks way cooler in my opinion, where you see her like take down a bunch of German soldiers. It, it you know, it just looks badass. I don't know. It's like, I'll, it, I'll it's pretty check, close to. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> yeah. I will say that uh, the, in fairness to your, to your argument also, the Batman warehouse fight scene uh, does not feature slow motion and still looks pretty cool. It does look pretty cool. Um, although I, I'm never going to understand the scene where uh, in Batman versus Superman, Batman was like climbing the walls. What What was that? Do you mean in the beginning where he... Uh, do you mean in the beginning where, where that cop is finding yeah, the... Yeah, and he's, he's, he's on the wall like a spider and then he like crawls into the ceiling <laughs> i mean i just assumed he was trying to like be unnoticed i don't know it reminded me of things i've seen in various things before so i didn't question it uh so but yeah so wonder woman though um i will say i do wonder woman is actually a movie that uh it chokes me up man I don't know. Like its depiction of of World War One, I, I find that movie very moving at times. Yeah, I, I, when the the no man's land scene was iconic. I mean, I think DC apparently wanted to cut that movie out, that scene out of the movie. Well, they are fools. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was like the best scene in the movie, and and it was great, and it was cool because that whole film we got to see Wonder Woman's value system, but because it was set during a war you know, we could still justify her kicking all kinds of this. And that was like the perfect balance. You could still have this noble, like heroic character, but still have fight scenes. And they felt like they still fit the narrative, you know? Um, okay. It was really cool. I mean, I know a lot of people compare it to Captain America, but honestly, I actually liked Wonder Woman more than like, um, the first Captain America movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I... So, like, I think the first half of 
the first Captain America movie is really great. Like to the point where he's in the OSO, uh, the USO show. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I think all of that, like the moment where he like realizes what he's doing is just propaganda and he's not really making it, it having an effect. Like that scene, I think is like the peak of the movie. And then everything after that, I was just kind of like, well, it's there. Yeah, I would agree. And also, like, the final fight between him and Red Skull is just honestly one of the most disappointing sequences of events I've ever seen in a movie. It's, I don't know which one's worse. I don't know if that fight scene or the fight scene at the end of the Edward Norton Hulk movie. Like, both of them just seemed so hollow to me. <laughs> so, like, I would say I preferred the the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk one. Um, the, okay, so my major problem with the Captain America, the first Captain America movie is just that, like, there, there's, there's nothing between Captain America and supposedly his greatest enemy ever. Like, they have no chemistry. There's, there's just nothing connecting them. And then they get to the final fight scene and they basically just stumble around for a bit and then Cap- and then Red Skull gets sucked into the cube to never interact with Captain America again. Yeah, it, and was, it's just it like, was a total waste. Yeah, no, like they totally wasted the Red Skull like in an embarrassing way. That is my, like it, it, it prevents me from fully embracing that movie because of how much of a disservice to Captain America that whole thing that whole part is in my opinion (laughs) no I I think that's a sound opinion um he and I and I really enjoyed uh the Winter Soldier but Soldier's pretty solid I think we could have had an actual third Captain America movie and made Civil War the third Avengers movie um and we could have actually had a third Captain America movie if we still had the Red Skull because there are so many great stories between them, you mm-hmm. know, like there are just so many and like, they're insane, you know, they're completely mad stories. Mm-hmm. So, so, okay. So I, now I want to get into this, but it's oh, so, okay. So Captain America, civil war. Okay. Now remember, we still have to fit thoughts on the justice league, but no, I know, yeah. I know, but, uh, I can't not talk about Civil War because I have very strong opinions on Civil okay. War. But first, what, uh, roughly speaking, what is your uh, what do you think about that movie? I liked it, um, but it there was just so much in that movie. Like we're talking about wasted um, mm-hmm. setup and wasted potential. Then, and, and the thing is, I'm I'm overall happy with it just because it introduced a lot of material and it didn't fall apart, which it very easily could have. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt like that. That movie did kind of fall apart for me, to be honest. You think it did? Okay. Oh, for me, I like, yeah, no, like, in all honesty, I did like the movie better the second time I watched it. Mm-hmm. But like, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, what, what the fuck was that? <laughs> um. Okay, so, so like, I, I was also a big fan of the Civil War comic. Uh, that Marvel published like that was a storyline that I got really into um, and, and like on a certain level I was there was a part of me that was like okay I understand they can't cram all of that story into this single movie so I prepared my expectations um, 
but going into the movie, they're just, I just could not, there were certain elements of it that I just could not care about. Um, and that I felt were distracting to the movie. I felt like I had been promised by the title. Um, so first of all, I, there was never a point in the movie where I felt like they properly set up the conflict. And I felt like the conflict of the movie was actually not the same conflict as the comic. Because in the comic, it is, a, it is like a, a it, is, it is not what it is in the movie. In the comics, it is legislation that would affect all superheroes and superpowered beings that live in America. And in the movie, literally it's just legislation that would create oversight for what is literally a military an american military unit that has zero oversight and answers to no one and like in the comics i agreed with captain america where it's like yeah no they shouldn't be intruding on everybody's life and in the movie it's like but Maybe you guys should answer to someone. Yeah, well, well, in, in the movie, that that's something that I appreciated about the movie was because it actually gave Iron Man a motive. In the comics, his motive was just to be an asshole. Like, it didn't himself. make any sense in the comic. It really didn't. Like, there was no way you could read the comic and not side with Captain America. Whereas in the movie... It, you know, at least they they attempted to make it complicated. You know, they attempted but to the, kind of divide the, the thing audience. Is, is I kind of felt like it was reversed the other way. Because in the movie, there was never a point where I felt like Captain America made a good point. I, I agree. Point, I agree. There was never but, a point where I was like, yeah, but, I think Captain America's right here. The thing, that, the thing that I thought made Captain America's side still compelling, though, was that to him it was about his friend and that yeah. was kind of, and that was kind of showing maybe maybe a flaw in captain america that he would be you know what i mean so um end of the line even when it's completely impractical and perhaps causing problems for other people he was still so dedicated to bucky and it's like you know that makes him a flawed character i mean it does but this this is probably the reason i couldn't get into the movie okay I did not care about the Bucky storyline. All right. Like, I, I still don't. Yeah, like you, you kind of have to like Bucky to be invested. Yeah. And I, like, in all honesty, I did not like Bucky until I want, like, I did not think that his character never, I actually have questioned for a long period of time is Sebastian, how good of an actor Sebastian Stanley is. Um. Until I saw Cat, uh, the winner, Falcon, Falcon and, and the Winter Soldier, yeah. like which I, was which was decent, and Bucky was. was Bucky was great in that. That was the only like until that there was never a point where I cared about Bucky. That was the only thing that ever made me care more about Bucky. In fact, actually, I would say to that show's credit, it made me care about two of my three least favorite Avengers. Um, so I think I I think I had the benefit of my deep appreciation for the winter soldier from the comics in the same way that you liked suicide squad, just because you're so attached to those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that. Yeah. Cause I, cause I love Bucky in the comics, you know, he's one of my favorite characters 
overall, you know, he's up there with Dick Grayson for me as like sidekicks who became like totally awesome on their own. Um, yeah, he's, and he's in great stories. I actually really enjoyed when he was capped for a little bit. That was a fun, um, story arc, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, no. Um, so the other, the other thing, so like the other thing about that movie that bothers me is the ending. The ending, I was kind of like, huh. And you know what? Maybe, and like on a review and like having seen like Infinity Wars and everything, like there's a part of me that now is like, okay, well, it makes sense that Iron Man would do that. But like when I was watching it the first time, it was very frustrating. First of all, I Baron Zemo was a character in this movie who I felt was simultaneous simultaneously underdeveloped but well motivated like his motivation makes sense but like as a character i felt like he was a big bunch of nothingness that just had an overly yeah. complicated plan that relied entirely on luck one of one of my biggest complaints in that movie as far as missed opportunities um i wanted them like if i were in charge of writing this movie this i fantasize about this stuff a lot um I would have made the under like the meta plot that links everything together a Romeo and Juliet type of story between Wanda and Vision. And in the background of the film, um, that's when we would have been building the more extemporaneous part. Mm-hmm. Although and, uh, yeah. and, and Zemo is Sokovian, just like Wanda is, and they should have had some interaction. Oh man. I mean you know what I mean? They're both Sokovian. Oh, yeah. That's like such an important like thing. Oh, that would have been so cool. Yeah. Um, like, so the the end. So the thing that bothered me about the ending, is <laughs> you're gonna make it. <laughs> they get to the ending. We get to the end of the movie, and like, there's two things that really bother me about the ending. Thing number one: the editing in the sequence with the reveals is trash. Like the part where they show the video to Cap- to Iron Man of his parents being murdered bothers the shit out of me <laughs> because like I'm watching it and like the way the movie is like, so the thing about it is, is that like the way it's edited, like we keep seeing shots of what's inside the car, even though that's impossible. From yeah, this, that stuff like, does bother me too. If Iron Man I mean, is watching I'll, the I'll CP- that is. He's watching the CCTV and we're getting these shots and it's cutting back to his reactions. And it's like, but, but the shots in the car have to be Bucky's memories. They can't be the footage he's watching. Right. That drove me crazy. Yeah, uh, that's just poor editing. I agree. Um, the other thing, oh, actually, uh, the other thing about the ending is that like, and this made more sense later, is that like the problem is, is that Iron Man, essentially what happens at the end is Zemo comes out and he's like, I've been emotionally manipulating you all this whole time. And now I'm going to do it one more time and it's going to work. And he does it one more time and it works. And like, he basically tells them this. And they and, Ke- and Iron Man is like, nope, I'm going to fall for it anyways. And it's like, well, I, uh, I came here with good intentions, but now I am here for revenge and murder. I'm going to kill Bucky for killing my parents. And uh, and then him and Captain America have to fight. And to be fair, this was the one part of the movie where it's like, Iron Man's wrong here. Iron Man's being a douche. 
once again, nothing matters but Iron Man's feelings. Yeah, but that's, I mean, he was the antagonist of the film. I mean, arguably. I know Zemo was the bad guy. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there. You know. Also, a little bit mad at Black Panther for not stopping their fight. (laughs) A little bit mad about that. He's like... (laughs) I think maybe T'Challa figured these two boys have to work their shit out. (laughs) I mean, Wakandans are pretty hardcore. They still have, like, trials by combat to determine who who the king is. You know what I mean? Fair. He might have been like, yeah, they're not, they just have to get it out of their system. Or or they're never going to get past this. I guess I could see that. Um, Oh, Wakandans. Uh, but yeah, no, basically abandons them so that he can go save the life of the guy he came there, swore he would kill. But uh, but yeah. The other thing about that movie, though, is that the guys who wrote it, um, I forget their names, like, but they also, they also wrote The Winter Soldier, and they also wrote Infinity Wars. And I think the, in terms of their consistency, I think Winter Soldier is their most consistent movie. Although, Infinity, uh, Infinity War is probably my favorite MCU movie on a certain level. Um, I I just like, I just appreciate oh, that was, it has, it's uh, it's Stephen Marcus and and uh, I forget his first name. Maybe it's Christopher McFeely. Okay, yeah, I did wrote know, those. Yeah, last name McFeely. So they are absolutely shit at writing people with superpowers. Like, that's the thing that kind of bothers me about them. Like, they said they had a pitch for a Superman movie, and my immediate instinct was, please don't ever let them write that. Um, Because they are bad at writing superpowered characters. Like, it's very clear from Civil War and Infinity War that it is, they get a character with, with like, a certain level of superpowers, and they're just like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Um, Like, in Civil War, like... Like Wanda's use of powers in Civil War is weak, is weak, and then Vision's use of his power, like Vision, you, for, you practically forget Vision is in the airport oh, fight scene. Like I said, that the that's the major thing I would have changed with that film is cha- put the focus on those two, not just because of the star-crossed element with them being on opposite teams, mm-hmm. but because they're the two most powerful. So the most interesting. Th- fight in the film besides captain america versus iron man would have been wanda versus vision if it were written well you know what i mean yeah but like it's clear <laughs> like, to and, me that I, and guys, i still and i still like that movie but <laughs> i i like it more than i used to i still have a lot of issues with it um i feel like it is kind of buoyed by like some very cool character interjections like black panther and spider-man but other parts of it just drive me crazy. Uh, but uh, but yeah, the uh, what was I going to say? Something about yeah. I just I feel like they specifically are not good at writing powers. Like the human characters, they do a really good job with, and then they get to the really powerful people, and they're like, I have no idea what to do with this. And they they like they practically admitted that's why they did what they did with Hulk in Infinity Wars. Because they, they just they nerf Hulk so much in those in those two movies. As a Hulk, thing, yeah, they do it really hurt. Me. It, 
It, it definitely, it definitely hurt me to see Banner stumbling around in the in the armor. I, I mean, come on, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and pe- so many cool moments could have happened with the Hulk in that movie. And I know we 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 were robbed. We the were robbed. Is, the other thing is the way that they've been riding the Hulk, like with the exception of Ragnarok, um, in in terms of his most recent appearances is that it feels like people forget that Hulk and Bruce Banner are technically two different personalities. Like, right. They're, they're, they're two wholly different beings. Yeah, two different characters, um, pretty much. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and not only do they forget that, but they, they seem to forget that the Hulk is like an element you know what I mean? I know. I know. Before we started this conversation today, um, you had mentioned the Ang Lee Hulk movie. Yeah, and there are a lot of things in that movie that were just weird. I mean, it was it was an admirable attempt to adapt the character, but one thing they got right mm-hmm. was how the Hulk gets bigger and stronger the angrier he gets, to the mm-hmm. extent that he's basically like just this. He's like Godzilla. You know what I mean? He, he yeah. just he's this insanely destructive destructive force that cannot be stopped uh and it sucks that we haven't really seen that in the mcu yeah exactly um so so i saw that movie opening weekend with my at the time girlfriend and and i i would (laughs) i am a big hulk fan like that is when i was a kid i used to go to the kent uh the kent free library and they had subscriptions to two comics spider-man and the incredible hulk nice okay and like that heavily turned me like i was mostly a dc kid but they had those there so i like started reading those all the time when i would go there and i got way into the hulk and like so i was like when i i unironically love the ang lee hulk movie and i saw it before i saw the reviews so i'm not being contrary right Right. But like I unironically <laughs> love that movie. And yes, it is a very weird movie. Like it's like sort like all its weird like psychedelic dream sequences, its unique editing styles, which interestingly enough, Ang Lee decided to also use some of those editing styles in his movie Taking Woodstock he made later, hmm. which is an interesting choice. Like, why does it have comic book breaks? Uh but no, I the thing about that movie is that it got a bunch of stuff about Hulk right that the mcu has not even attempted to touch like i i 100 agree with you like the big thing for me is like the whole idea of the hulk is that he is he's created by bruce banner's trauma Mm -hmm. and like his his like they have practically erased the concept of hulk being a story about an adult survivor of child abuse right and that really bothers me that that's been practically erased. I mean, I understand Disney probably takes dude, one look at that and they're like, whoa. Dude, okay. it, it, it bothers me that they even did a Moon Knight show for the same, for the same reasons. Mm. And, and it sucks because in Moon Knight, they actually did touch on child abuse. And that actually made me even more annoyed by the way the Hulk has been written. Because it's like, oh, so they could have at least mentioned it. And people just didn't think that was important, I guess. Yeah, no, it's it is like it was more important for Joss Whedon. It was more important for Joss Whedon to tell us that Black Widow is sterile than um 
for us to know anything about why Bruce Banner has rage issues in the first place. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, they've also like kind of glossed over that, that the whole thing is that part of his whole curse is that he is someone who has anger management issues. Yeah, he gets pissed off pretty easily. That's why he's dangerous, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and like, like they kind of address that in the Edward Norton movie and it makes sense. But like at the same time, like in the following rep- representations of Hulk, they just kind of like, they're like, well, that movie did it enough. We don't need to talk about it anymore. And uh, I haven't seen the newest episode of She-Hulk. Oh, uh, the, let me think. Oh yeah, I watched it. It was, um, she teams up with Wong again. I don't want to spoil it for you. Okay, I appreciate that. And I will say that, like, the thing about that show is that it is very She-Hulk appropriate. Like, yeah, it is, what, like, yeah, like we, if you think about anything that's iconic about She-Hulk, it's like, well, yeah, no, this matches. It checks out. I actually think this episode that just happened was the most like the comic book so far. Because right. we, got, we got her dating and, you know, the kind of, hi- <clears throat> pardon me, the kind of hijinks that come from that. And we got her doing a case that involves superpowers um so it it definitely felt like that that uh iconic she-hulk from the book nice so like the thing about that show is like i like first of all i think it's i think it's doing pretty good that there are definitely like god the cg there i mean the cgi is not great but like like the cgi is acceptable for television shows but if this were in a movie i'd be like ooh. Yeah, I wish they had just done practical effects and used camera tricks to make her look taller. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I'm coming from, but you know, well, whatever. Well, have you heard about the the whole thing that's hap- that's like been coming out from the uh, at, uh from the uh visual effects uh industry? Oh, that they all get like overworked and underpaid by Disney. Oh, yeah, they basically that and well basically like a lot of that there's a lot of complaints really, but basically the idea is is that Marvel doesn't give them like Marvel will spring deadlines on them, uh, and um, Disney and Marvel frequently hire act hire directors who've never worked with like big special effects in their movies, um, so like they don't really know how to work with the the visual effects department to get what they want. So they frequently like will have to scrap things and like start over on them. And uh, interestingly enough, it's also come out that visual effects artists tend to really like working with Zack Snyder. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the things that I complimented him on the last yeah. time was that I do think he, I'm, I'm annoyed by the constant slow motion, but I mean, he has a great um, way of setting up epic shots, you know, like, sure. I can't argue with that. I mean, I definitely loved that about Man of Steel. I love the way that movie looked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, like, so like those things that Marvel is doing is apparently why so many Marvel projects recently have had some questionable CGI in them. Yeah. Cause Moon Knights was very bad. I, I mean, it was just, I didn't notice it as much. As oh my God. I couldn't not Knight. notice it every time he suited up and I'm never going to forgive Disney for making Moon Knight a Power Ranger. That's <laughs> absurd. Uh, he's like he's literally Sailor Moon now he just doesn't do a dance you know um as an anime watcher I I (laughs) I guess I 
I guess I'm preconditioned to accept transformation sequences. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like anime too, but that's not what Moon Knight is, you know? That's fair. Um, it's like, I really enjoyed the Moon Knight show, but like there is an element to that, which is that I never really read the Moon Knight comics in a serious way. Yeah. Uh, See, which, I have, and it's just really disappointing that that's the way they went with him. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to get into without derailing us. That's, um, that's fair. I understand. Um, so yeah, so let's... Okay. All right. Fair. Um, Hulk is my favorite Marvel character. I will say that. He's up um, there for me. He's definitely in my top five. Uh, so like, which is actually why I struggle with the MCU a lot. Uh, it's just because it's very hard to be a Bruce Banner person in a Tony Stark world. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I which also... It bothers me that they're friends in the MCU. Like that actually, like in the comics, they can barely stand each other. God damn it. Yeah. And, and in the comics, Bruce is honestly just as smart as Tony. And it's really cool when that comes up, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, cause he has his own like line of technology. I think it's called yeah. Banner Tech. And yeah, like when he, you know, it's cool when like he breaks out his own genius gadgetry and it's like oh yeah you know tony stark is no longer like he no longer has the biggest genius dick in the room Mm -hmm. and like the the thing is is that like what's interesting though is that like they they also like it 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 ignores and erases the fact that like basically like tony stark just has so many privileges in his life and yet bruce banner is just as smart as him even though Bruce Banner comes from a significantly less privileged background. Well, you know, you know what makes me extremely upset with the current movies right now? Um, What's that? Just speaking of Tony Stark. So in No Way Home, mm-hmm. we are shown that Peter Parker has access to a Stark Industries replicator. It's like the fucking replicator from Star Trek. It can just mm-hmm. create. It's a machine that can just create whatever you need. It can just make whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, if Tony Stark can create a replicator, why could he not have had a long discussion with Thanos? They could have figured everything out. He has a fucking replicator. Do you know how overpowered that is? And that just upsets me that, yeah, Banners had to like live on the run. And, you know, basically I would assume he's just been like lodging at the avengers compound or something because he's not safe anywhere else in the world but tony stark just casually has a replicator <laughs> no yeah totally throughout all, all of the events in all of the movies he's had a replicator this whole time he gave one to a teenager that's they're nothing to him technically <laughs> technically i think the replicator technically i think that uh happy technically gave him the replicator <laughs> It doesn't he, matter. I mean, Jennifer, you're right, but like he uses it in Far From Home uh, to like make his new suit. Yeah. And then he uses it again in No Way Home yeah. when he's trying to help cure the villains. No, no, exactly. And it's like, wait a minute. Do people still have to pay for food in this universe? You know, like America Chavez brought it up in Multiverse of Man, like because they don't have to, because Tony Stark can make replicators. So except <laughs> Tony Stark would never do anything that good for the rest of the world. 
I guess not. I mean, is that the is that the subtext I'm supposed to get? Is that Tony I mean, Stark really want, is awful? It, I mean, he is. He is awful. <laughs> like, if you pay attention in the movies, he is awful. Like, he's he's self absorbed. He's misogynistic towards people. He he constantly only does things that benefit himself. He like he 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 never acknowledges. He almost never acknowledges his own fault in things. Like. In Endgame, it pissed me off that he was a dick immediately to Captain America when he got back and basically treated Captain America like it was all Captain America's fault. And like I'm like, dude, you tried to murder Bucky after it was no longer appropriate. Well, and, and he could have just called him. Like he could have literally called him when they were at Doctor Strange's and the whole team would have been assembled in the beginning of the movie, but he oh, didn't. Yeah. Yeah, he could have thought about so, that. Because Dr. Strange could have just portaled to wherever Steve Rogers was and brought them all together. So, like, they, yeah, that's a plot hole yeah. for sure. I mean, it's, know, that, it's either a plot hole or it is just Tony Stark is that juvenile. <laughs> I think he's pretty juvenile, to be completely honest. <laughs> like, there's so many points in the movie where he just does shit to own people where he's not being yeah. out. Like, he reveals his secret identity in the very first movie just because he wants to say fuck you to that one reporter lady. And Although, then, to be fair, I, that was a very on-brand move. I mean, I mean it the, is. It is. I, I know in the comics, it... he had a secret identity for a long, mm-hmm. long time, but he just works better as a character when there is no secret identity, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no, totally. I can see that. But like, But, like, it definitely had consequences later in his life that put other people in danger and probably got some race car drivers killed. Oh, for sure. And yeah, the race car drivers in Iron Man 2 and then in the other one where they attacked Happy and then they blew up his house and who knows who could have been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, there were some interns touring Tony Stark's house. Right, exactly. The <laughs> there could have been... His house is so big. There could have been exactly anyone. Right. It could have been anybody. It could have been a maid. It could have been the pool boy. Anyone. Any- also, <laughs> Dead. God, I hate the end Vaporized. of it. God, I hate the end of Iron Man 3. Like, it was not good. I, I did not like the superpowered Gwyneth Paltrow. That was pretty cringe. Also, uh, yeah. Th- okay, so major problems with the end of that movie. First, like, you're telling me he couldn't have gotten those suits to shoot their way out of the rubble earlier when he needed suits. Second, second, he blows up uh, like billions of dollars worth of his own equipment to make a romantic gesture to that to to Potts, and then not only that, yeah. but he does it without any confirmation that they have finished fighting the extremists. Yeah, like there's like he has no confirmation that they have finished that fight. Whatsoever, no, and, and there are so many continuity issues because then immediately after an Age of Ultron, we not only see him suiting up again, but he's built a whole army of robots. So mm-hmm. there was no character progression, and then we find out in Shang Chi that there are still people with extremists because you see one of them fighting in that oh, yeah. underground arena. So there well, are I mean, still guess- extremist people. Tony Stark, wildly irresponsible yeah. all the time. Seriously. Seriously. Oh, here's, here's a fun we'll one. We'll talk I about bet. irresponsible. 
here's a what were you saying here's here's a fun fact i read is that i read this one article where it pointed out the fact that there i think it i think it's like there is a consistent 81 employees on the air force one at all times but in iron man 3 he saves like 17 people from that yeah yeah so a lot of people are dead yeah (laughs) what were you gonna say though i was just gonna say speak responsible though that's one of the reasons i have problems with justice league um because every everybody in that movie was irresponsible and and bloodthirsty to the extreme okay <laughs> uh can you be more specific yeah uh in the beginning wonder woman uh massacres all the bank robbers and does some really weird things like when she deflects the bullets with her bracelets that was absurd we've already seen that she can move faster than the eye can track there's no reason she couldn't have just zipped across the room and taken that guy out it seems like she forgets she has her lasso half the movie um the flash there are so many issues with the flash i don't even know where to begin um and and then what why didn't there was this scene with cyborg where you know he started that fight with superman when they woke him up I okay. still don't know why Bruce Wayne didn't bring kryptonite, but in that scene where Cyborg shoots him with a rocket, like he didn't vocalize at all. Like, Hey guys, I'm not doing this on purpose. And yeah, after he shooting Superman, he, he didn't apologize. No, he just said, it's, it's not me. And he kind of whispered it to Aquaman. I mean, he's not whispering. he shoots Superman and doesn't even apologize. It was like, what are you doing? Like, okay, so it's not you. I think Superman could understand, like, hey, yeah, some some shit's going on. No one even tries to reason with him. And then for some reason, everybody can tank his heat vision. That was that was weird. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, the heat vision thing is, spe- there's a specific thing about the heat vision. Only, only uh, with Alfred treating his suit the night before or whatever who else, who else he who else uh who else did that aquaman when cyborg, did aquaman or cyborg in? does cyborg does well cyborg cyborg's part mother box i he can probably do almost anything yeah i don't i don't, I don't buy it i don't know we had no context for i mean it's just and then that's the thing okay so I mean, powerful you, enough to go toe-to-toe with superman then why did his rocket barely hurt Superman? There's just that whole scene was well, just because so dumb. I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. I feel like these are, I don't know, these complaints don't seem, I don't know, man. These seem like kind of nitpicky things to me. I don't, I don't really see it. Like, well, first of all, Superman. You not think Wonder movie. Woman massacring the bank robbers is nitpicking? I mean, she fucking cold blooded murders those people, and there's blood. It's not like implied that she knocked them out we saw her hurl a guy against the wall so hard that he leaves a crater and then when he falls out of the wall there's a big blood splatter right oh no i don't i I don't have no i'm not i'm not saying that's a a nitpick per se but but like wonder woman's been killing people in the comics ever since jeff johns had her break maxwell lord's neck and why did she do that she doesn't just kill people in media. Well, yeah, no, she doesn't. But like, my point is, is that from that moment, there's been a gradual her like an emphasis on her being a warrior who, even though she chooses not to kill people, she still totally kills people. 
it's it it was very out of character she doesn't just massacre people like that especially in front of children she gave i mean she did it to save zero zero thought what did you say i mean she did it to save those children yeah but she could have saved some of those she could have saved the children i feel like are just extensions of how strong she is she could have saved them we've seen her in both of her films i know wonder woman 1984 hadn't quite come out yet so it's wonder hard woman 1984's to... action sequences were a huge disappointment to me they were but my point is in both movies we've seen her move with incredible speed and like i said at so many points in justice league she didn't even use her lasso which in her own movies we've seen her do insane feats with the lasso um it's just weird it just didn't feel like Zack Snyder paid any attention to the way that she was depicted in her own movie, which is annoying. Well, I mean, he was um, he was one of the co-writers on the first Wonder Woman movie. Right. And that's why it's frustrating because it's like, okay, so then why did you even take her in the direction that you took her in if you're not going to honor the continuity? I mean, that's the thing that bothers me about the MCU as well. I'm not specifying that that's a Zack Snyder problem, but it is an issue I have with I mean, the Justice League movie. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't strike me as that. Like she, she kills people in in the first Wonder Woman movie, though, because she's in a wartime situation. Like okay. I said earlier, that's one of the reasons that movie works because we can still emphasize Wonder Woman's values as a hero, and then still have have an excuse to have her, you know, kick the shit out of everybody because it's a wartime situation. And in that in that movie. You know, not only were the Germans bad in real life in that war, but they were also being manipulated by an evil god. So it was totally justified. In okay. in the Justice League movie, I mean, she could have easily taken those guys out without. At one point, she blows up half the building. Remember, she well, does she that like blows out the front window there. No, it's the whole wall of the building. We see debris fly into okay, a crowd yeah, of bystanders too, but that wall was mostly windows it's subs dude i don't know man you might need to rewatch that <laughs> sure i can watch it it's, like a ninth or tenth time it's, uh, a, it's a huge amount of destruction to take no, out i mean i'm not guy. saying it's a small explosion at all um i don't know it just doesn't i i don't the sequence just doesn't bother me yeah well that's a i mean We've already established that we're in two different camps. Um, it just, just seemed crazy. I mean, honestly, watching it with the Wonder Woman that I know from the comics and the Wonder Woman that we saw in her own movie, it was like, wow, did she kind of go down like a Batman path, like from Batman versus Superman, where over the years she just stopped caring about human life and now she's just merkin people is that who she is now but then she like well, i mean stops and has that moment with a little girl where she smiles at her and tells her she can do whatever she wants with her life it was just weird man and then and then that scene where the hulk catcher not the hulk the flash catches the hot dog why that wasn't even funny it was just weird why is this in the movie i <sighs> I, I i don't have a problem so like so like my mate, so like the first time I saw the hot dog scene, uh, which I, which I I actually like the hot dog. <laughs> I don't know why you do. I I don't know, like the way it's it's all put together. Like I I like, it made me like his character. And like I think it, the take on his powers is really fascinating to me, 
because throughout the movie there's like this implication that he is very afraid that he will just destroy things by touching them and the way he like gently like brings her down to earth is really cool to me mm-hmm. uh i will say like the first time i saw that i did have this horrible moment where i was like where i just like i had this horrible moment where i was like if this were a marvel movie he'd probably put that hot dog in her mouth <laughs> but no i uh, to be fair i don't actually think they do it in a marvel movie but like i had a moment where i was like where's this hot dog thing going but then he just like moves it away from her face and brings it to to feed to the dogs in the uh in the other in the other room. I will say the guy reaching down to get his cheeseburger is kind of cheesy. Yeah. No pun intended. No, that but, was And I understand that a lot of people like in conversations about what would you cut out of the movie, a lot of people do pick that sequence. And I can see that. Like it's not as important like the intro to him in the prison. It, some people probably would argue that's probably a better intro to his character, but I don't know. I still like the scene overall. And also that scene probably helped her maintain her part in the, the Flash movie upcoming. Yeah, if that ever comes out. Sounds like it's gonna. Well, we'll see what I happens. hope it's good, I guess. <laughs> Supposedly, <laughs> I its know. test screenings are very positive. All right, well, I guess we'll just see. We'll yep, see what happens. Fingers crossed. Knock on some wood. We'll see what happens. Um, I mean, technically, it is implied that Wonder Woman has gone down a bit of a darker path. Um, like, because in both Batman versus Superman and in um, Justice League, it's commented on the fact that she basically decided to, like, go incognito and turn her back on, on humanity for a long time. Yeah, but she didn't do that, though. And I mean, 1984 kind of messes with that, yeah. 1984 kind of messes with it, but so does her persona. If she turned her back on humanity, then how does she have a dope ass loft? And why is, so I guess the question valid, you, I guess the question you're asking alias. is, why did she decide if she's turned her back on humanity? Why, why? Has she also decided to stay in the world of humanity? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a good question. Um, I do, I don't know if it's a question I necessarily need need answered, um, but it is a worthwhile question. And that's and it's also something that Wonder Woman would never do, um, which again brings me back to my opinion that Zack Snyder does not get these characters. I know you don't agree with that. Um, that's just not something she would do. Just like Batman wouldn't never turn into someone who brands people with a bat because that's completely psychotic so here's um, a here's a fun fact here's a fun <laughs> fact about that specifically uh that was actually something warner brothers insisted be in the movie why do they have the worst ideas so out of so, of course, so chris terrio actually tells oh a story God. about that about how when he came on to batman versus superman it was a big thing in the script and apparently it also is something that studio executives lifted from the uh the frank miller darren aronofsky batman movie uh that was a major feature in that movie apparently was the uh the branding with the bat brands that's so bad so um so basically chris terrio came on to write the movie and like he he saw the thing in the he he saw the brand thing in the movie and he was like okay well here's what i'll do with this and the whole idea is at the end of the movie batman realizes gives up branding people that's why he punches into the wall instead of lex luther and he's like he gives up the branding of people and right, like I when mean, he brought I, that version to the studio executives I, the studio I, executives were like 
why does he stop branding people? And he was like, because that's the whole, because because that's the point. He has to realize that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, uh, it doesn't work for Batman. It's pretty messed up. I'm just saying that actually wasn't something that the main people working on the film wanted in the movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it does not help my opinion of the DCEU, though, because it still happened and it's still canon. Um, I still don't understand why Batman didn't bring some kryptonite when they went to resurrect Superman. I mean, I guess that's I guess that's a fair question. I guess I guess uh, maybe a little too optimistic about how re- resurrecting Superman would work out. So I do actually have some interesting theories on what's up with Superman in that sequence, although none of them have been confirmed at this time. Okay. So I don't know if they're necessarily worthwhile, but if you're interested, I'd be more than happy to share them. I, I am interested. So, um, but I was going to hang on. I, yeah. I was going to request a quick a quick break if that's okay. Um, there's just some noise I want to deal with real quick. Okay, if if it makes you feel better, I haven't noticed it, but go ahead and deal with it. I will. Excuse me. I will pause this recording and maybe uh, maybe now is a good time for a quick bathroom break if anyone needs to use it. Okay. Thank you. I'll be I'll be right back. All right. Ditto. Okay. So I had a thought while I was going to the bathroom and. Um, so the thought does occur to me that it's possible that you and I have just, you know, read very different interpretations of uh, the Wonder Woman comic books. This is true. Uh, so I will be upfront in the fact that the ma- my major readings of Wonder Woman have been, um, I read a Golden Age collection of hers, uh, like of her first uh, bunch of comics from back in the day. And then I also read the Brian Azzarello run. And uh, also, um, mostly her interactions in various Justice League comic books that I've that I've read. Um, I really enjoyed the Brian Azzarello run. Um, obviously, uh, Brian Azzarello kind of a grittier uh, writer, so maybe that he is, take, yeah. So maybe like I mean, his take of her is much more of a, a warrior. Um, but if I'm being honest, the the take on Wonder Woman that. Uh, that she kind of reminds me the most of is probably Wonder Woman from Kingdom Come. Yeah, I can see that. If you've read that. um, I have. So, so maybe that's, that's probably part of it. Also like (laughs) Golden Age Wonder Woman is pretty wild. Have you ever read Golden Age Wonder Woman? I have. I've read a lot of classic DC stuff. Nice. Um, But yeah, so like, those are the, the major points of my, um, my understanding for character and some of those are definitely um grittier sources like both well, kingdom did, come and brian azarello did you um read uh, it was more of a like an actual graphic novel than a comic book mm-hmm. um it was called the hikatea uh, and it was by it was it was by greg rucka you've read that one is that the one where she faces down uh batman yes I have actually read that, but it has been a long time. So that was, I thought, a really great balance of Wonder Woman's valuing human life, but also being a traditional, like, Greek warrior Mm -hmm. goddess type of character. Um, Because she did throw down, she was very clearly willing to kill if it needed to happen, and she was even willing to fight someone who she respected and considered a friend because she made a promise and she doesn't break promises. Um, 
again, I have no problem with Warrior Wonder Woman. I have problem with Wonder Woman whose first instinct is to brutally kill human beings <laughs> just because that's not, yeah, even in the comics I've read where she is a warrior, that's just not her MO. I mean, I mean, it's, it's a weird fairness, take. In fairness, they were suicide terrorists. They were. Who were about to bomb a building full of uh, of children. Yeah, and I'm not saying that she wouldn't kill them if there were no other choice, but there were some of them she could have just taken out. I mean... A couple of those guys might have been an accident. Like, oh, hit that guy harder than I thought I would. She blew out half of a building to take out one guy. guy I'm not saying she didn't (laughs) want that guy dead. I mean, she turned him into dust. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he was he was trying to shoot a room full of people with machine guns, but I get what you're saying. I get where you're coming from on this. I kind of view, I don't know, like it, like I do allow for adaptations to have a certain amount of like their own reality wiggle room, I guess. Um, like I've always been, like the thing that always got me about the like superheroes killing people in Zack Snyder movies is that like it seems like it's a thing people only have a problem with when Zack Snyder does it. Like be- because like Tim Burton did it all the time and I had a problem with that and I've argued with that. I mean, I've argued people with about the Tim Burton Batman movies. Dude, that's one of the biggest arguments I have with other fans because oh, yeah. I don't consider them I don't consider them good Batman movies. They're fun movies. But as far as ad- adaptations of Batman, they're totally wrong. They're not, yeah. it's not Batman. He, Bruce Wayne does not act like Bruce Wayne and Batman sadistically murders people and like, like, left and right. Like Batman Returns specifically was the one that made me go, are you fucking kidding me? Well, even in the first one, he throws oh, yeah. dudes off of buildings. Uh, oh yeah, no, and he, he, he blows up an entire building with people yeah. inside it. Yeah, and that's that's ridiculous. Batman would never do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does so, it with a smile. He does. He he literally smiles when he does it. Like um, like Ben Affleck's character is like broken and sad about it, but but Tim, but Michael Keaton's like, this is fucking awesome, done you bitch. Yeah, that that's so. I do hear you. It's it does seem like most people only speak up about when Zack Snyder does it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like it when anyone does it, unless it's and an established part of the character. I mean, you know, the Punisher kills people. I can accept that. But I will, I will give you, I will give you points for consistency. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I, I will, I appreciate some, uh, some credit, even though we're mostly disagreeing. Uh, so, um, so let's see here. Um, so, so we talked about Wonder Woman. Um, I will say. Oh, I, I should mention that. So, like, I will say. Another thing, like I may have also not necessarily been as hard as on some things because I felt like his was ultimately a better adaptation than Joss Whedon's version of Wonder Woman, who is kind of useless and has, and like people just say terrible things to her the whole movie. Like there's all kinds of creepy, like vaguely sexual comments that Steppenwolf says to her. Yeah, and I and I loved I loved how he constantly. I mean, he's done it in his shows. He mm-hmm. did it in Age of Ultron, and then he did it again in his cut of the Justice League, where somebody falls on top of one of the female protagonists, and it's like an American pop, 
I joke like, oh, uh, we're accidentally in this sexually suggestive position. Uh, oh, how silly when the flash falls on top of Wonder Woman. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happened with Black Widow and almost the same action sequence in Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, he. I'm pretty sure he did that. And well, I mean, Dollhouse overall was just like pure uh, male gaze. That show is a ridiculous thing that I cannot believe was ever made. And it tells you everything you need to know about Joss Whedon, I think. I've but, never um, seen it, but I've heard people describe it. And I was oh, like, God damn, what the it, fuck was this show? It's so bad, dude. It's like, there's no reason. It sounds like a porno. Yeah, it's, it's literally Joss Whedon has his like stable of actors he likes to look at and then he just puts them all in these creepy situations it's ridiculous anyway whatever yeah um yeah the Uh, just whedon cut i agree that wonder woman's treatment in that movie and cyborg's treatment in that movie were so much worse mm -hmm. uh there's no question there i mean i i will come right out i don't think the Zack snyder movie had to be four hours but it's definitely better than the joss whedon cut no no question well, you know, I, I, if you if you couldn't acknowledge at least that, I would think you were a little bit delusional. <laughs> but uh, but you don't have to like you don't have to like Zack Snyder's Justice League. You just have to be able to acknowledge that it is an improvement on that. Oh yeah, th- I, that's not debatable. I don't think anyone who's seen them both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, and I and actually I have seen on YouTube people who um, tried to justify a lot of changes in Joss Whedon's movie after having seen Zack Snyder's and I I couldn't help but roll my eyes because it was like that's a reach you know you guys are just trying to have a take that's not what everybody else is saying you know there there comes a point where you have to acknowledge objective reality (laughs) yeah well you know YouTube and I mean I'm and you know sometimes I mean when it comes to art sometimes an emotional investment is really like the ultimate measurement of of really a piece of art anyways like i think that that's a big thing that dc and warner brothers didn't really understand about the mcu is that like the reason mcu box offices are so insane is because there's like this built-in emotional like people go to those movies and they already have a built-in emotional investment in them like and that's not a thing a lot of movies can say um before you walk into them right and so like when they expected their second movie in their universe to make a billion dollars and then when it didn't they panicked right it's kind of like warner brothers are you stupid (laughs) well yeah i mean i don't think they understand i mean i've said it already about the the writing and not understanding the characters but i also just don't think they know how to use these ips um oh yeah and it's really it's really bizarre because in the anime world, you know, the the Justice League show and the Batman show and the Superman show, uh, those were all awesome. And they were in a shared universe and it worked and the stories were good and the characters were accurate. And pretty much everybody who watched those shows says they were good. Uh, it, I don't know part, why they couldn't do it in the movies. Well, part of it was is that all those cartoons were essentially made by the same people. Right. Um and that was not well with movies like i i really do blame the history of warner brothers like you can almost like see the problem with warner brothers approach to superhero movies like from the very beginning like with the christopher reeve superman movies like in the very beginning they didn't believe in the project of a superman movie 
Um, like that's why uh, that's why other people bought the rights, and then Warner Brothers just agreed to public like distribute it once it was made. Um, Warner Brothers tried to replace like replaced Richard Donner while they were making Superman two, resulting in the theatrical cut, which. I'm going to be honest, I think has aged like absolute trash. Uh, just like Superman 2, I rewatched it recently and there's just so much of it that I'm like, uh. I do think that the first Superman movie is genuinely great, though. I will say that. I, I mean, I, it's it's definitely still one of the best superhero movies. Yeah. I, it, I mean, I do have to like, I do have to like suck it up a little bit to buy the whole spinning around the world thing, turning back time. Uh, but otherwise, I really think that it's a nice like because the thing is, it's not really an action movie. Chris, Christopher Reeve, the first Superman movies with Christopher Reeve is like a character piece, and I think that that's cool. And I and I dig that what Richard Donner was doing. I mean, at points it seems a little pretentious because Richard Donner is obsessed with these incredibly long like landscape shots that seem to go on forever. But like, I kind of dig that he's has this more artistic eye for it. And and then Superman 2 happens and it's just like, oh. Oh dear. <laughs> and I have seen the Richard Donner cut and it is it is better than the theatrical cut, but there are still a lot of stuff in it where I'm like this hasn't aged very well. That's actually the only cut that I've seen. Oh yeah? Yeah. It's, it's better than the theatrical cut, uh which is um not good. Um not good. Like, like people don't talk about this, but in the theatrical cut of Superman 2, like, even there, like, the implication is that he murders all the other Kryptonians. Like, there is a deleted scene of them being arrested afterwards, but that's not in the movie. Like, in the movie, he steals all their powers and then throws them down a crevasse. (laughs) Like, they're dead. (laughs) Like, a human would not survive. Uh, so without that scene to clarify that they did, you, you have to look at it and be like, no, they're dead. Um, but also, like, like they, they basically, they made Richard Lester add jokes to the movie. There are just, way, there's just, just, like, jokes throughout the film. Like, in the scene where, like, he's fighting Zod, they'll, like, use the freeze breath, and, like, you'll see a civilian in the background's ice cream, like, fly off his cone and hit him in the face. Wow. That's what's going on with that movie. Yikes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then they made Superman 3, which actually, while not a good movie, I do like more than Superman 2, the theatrical cut. Huh. I will say I will that. Keep that in mind. I'll have to rewatch them. It's been a long time. Superman 3 is not... Like, Superman 3 has a lot of issues. Like, they thought that Richard Pryor would, would improvise on the set a bunch and but unfortunately for them they didn't realize that Richard Pryor took Superman very seriously and so he didn't improvise a bunch um but my thing with that movie is that like the main villain is like oh this feels like what Lex Luthor should have been this character is Lex oh he's not called Lex Luthor but he's so much more like Lex Luthor (laughs) uh because Lex Luthor in the Christopher Reeves movies it always weirded me out that like he's in like he's he's all about real estate schemes. Like it's always been like, what, what is that about? Right. He's he's a science person. Why would he be? Yeah. A land baron. Yeah. You know. 
you know that part was weird um but like where was i going with this oh yeah but like but like their handling of that franchise is like indicative of like how they would go on to handle their movies like uh they bring in Tim Burton and Tim Burton would do a good job. And then he made Batman Returns and it freaked out all the parents groups and they couldn't sell action figures for it anymore. So they moved so they tried to move him to a Superman movie that never got made. And they brought in Joel Schumacher to replace him so they could sell toys. And then Joel Schumacher tried to make a darker Batman movie. And they were like, no, you got to make it lighter. And so he made it lighter and it sucked. And then he, <laughs> and then they made Batman and Robin and Joel Schumacher even said, yeah, we knew this was a toy commercial going into it. And it's just that movie bombed so hard that they they basically had the reactionary Batman, which was, and I don't mean like politically reactionary. I mean like the whole point to Batman Begins is it had to erase Batman and Robin, right? Which it did successfully. It did, yeah. So like, and then like they they tried to create a shared universe, starting off with by trying to copy Marvel's scheme by making green lantern and trying to make it in their like funny action adventure type deal but then of course they started messing with the script in fact actually several people who worked on that film have been like that's not the movie i shot fun funny how that keeps happening with warner brothers right uh like that's also like what happened with jonah hex uh jonah hex they just couldn't keep a director on that film and that, I mean, that movie was uh, why they, he's a, he's a fucking cowboy bounty hunter. Why can he talk to the dead in that movie? Uh, it's, I don't get it, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, no, like the story behind that one's fun too, because like, according to like, so apparently like Josh Brolin pitched like a very like simple, serious cowboy movie and Warner Brothers tried to get um, Neville Dean and Taylor, the guys who made the crank movies to direct the film and they came in and they did a treatment of the script and then we're like you know what we don't really want to make this movie and then they proceeded to hire other directors to attempt to imitate the guys who make cranks directing styles wow while still keeping their name in the credits as screenwriters even though according to josh brolin they had they brought in a guy who rewrote over 60 pages of the script while they were filming it it's just incompetence, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's mind-bending. It's mind-bending. It, like, Warner Brothers is just, like, they don't know what they're doing. And it's hard to say, it's hard to say if these new people who bought Warner Brothers will know what they're doing either. Especially since, I don't know, I don't, I don't entirely trust David Zaslav to make good decisions. I don't either. He seems like a lunatic to me. Yeah, it's from what I'm hearing, it sounds like they're going to ignore their opportunity to gain um, viewers who are more progressive and young in an attempt to hold on to their more regressive elderly viewers that watch their reality television. So we'll see what goes on with that. Hopefully they don't make my HBO Max completely worthless. <laughs> they might. They're heading that so, way if they keep canceling all the cartoons, goddammit. Yeah, be ready, because it might happen. <clears throat> I love Doom Patrol, though. Have you seen Doom Patrol? I have. I have. And I like most of it. That's another movie, or not movie, 
another yeah. show, another property. I mean, uh, that features cyborg. Uh, that I I don't understand their interpretation of the character at all, um, or why he's even in Doom Patrol. Doesn't make any well, sense. But he's all right. in. I, like I like that show, and I, I've I've gotten into his version of Doom, of uh, cyborg. But like the honest truth is, I'm pretty sure he's in there uh, because Jeff Johns was trying to erase Ray Fisher. Ah, uh, I see. Um, because Jeff Johns was a producer on that show, and like, and like some of the stuff feels like, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure Jeff Johns put him in that show to try and erase Ray Fisher. Well, which that's I feel, disappointing. It is disappointing, and you know. Fuck Jeff Johns. Yeah, I hear that. But like, I I, I don't I don't I don't think that's the actor's fault at all. And I think that like he's I love that show, so I'm not going to hold it totally against it. But it is one thing about that show that makes me go, I wish Jeff Johns wasn't involved with this. Yeah. But I yeah, hear you. Um. So speaking okay. of Cyborg. <laughs> Yeah, back to back to Justice League. Um, so I think I have explained most of my problems with it. Oh yeah, and and just the constant Lois Lane staring into the middle distance. Sadly, was pretty annoying. I um, don't have a problem. I, I mean, I don't. I'm a I'm an overly serious person sometimes, so I don't have a problem with that. Also, my, Amy, my depression Amy, makes she, make me relate too much. Amy Adams is just a weird choice for Lois Lane to begin oh, really? with. Yeah. I think so. Oh no, I liked Amy Adams as, as Lois Lane. She just seemed like Amy Adams to me. I didn't get any Lois Lane vibes. In uh, fairness, in fairness, this is the main thing that I've watched Amy Adams in. Oh yeah, she is I just don't, Amy Adams. And I don't really her. follow her, so so and to me, this is my major exposure to. Her. Yeah, I've seen her in like six other movies, and she's pretty much always the same. She's not a bad actor. She's just kind of she has one note, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, that just didn't act like Lois Lane to me. I don't know. Uh, I, I thought mean, actually in Man of Steel she kind of did, mm-hmm. but in Batman vs Superman and in Justice League there was nothing about her. Well, I mean, distinguished in, her as a, as a character. Well, I mean, in Justice League, she's she's mostly just going through a grieving period, which you know sometimes people deviate during grieving periods from how they would nor- might normally react to things. It's just one of those things in a four-hour cut. Mm-hmm. I think needed to be in the film. We know that she's sad. We understand why she's sad. We don't need this repeated shot of her staring sadly into the distance. Just like I didn't think we needed that drawn-out sequence with Bruce Wayne awkwardly walking by people singing some sea shanty on the beach <laughs> what okay. was that so so that is one scene that like and when i when these discussions come up even amongst the uh, the fan base that is one of the main scenes that people like say we could have done without that scene yeah i a- can't lie though that scene is so weird i kind of love it <laughs> like like the whole like the whole uh, see, like now, now i see it. The implication is that Aquaman comes to this village and he's probably banged that one woman. <laughs> I mean, you don't just take somebody's sweater and smell it if you haven't been banging them. Let's be honest. Uh, but uh, and then they and then like all the the Norwegian people just sing him this this song as he swims. 
it is admittedly weird, and and I understand why most people would cut it out. But I kind of I kind of enjoy how weird that sequence is. Yeah, see that now I can see maybe some one some of the reasoning for people calling you a contrarian because that scene is so pointless and it's kind of. I a never bad said it wasn't pointless. Too. I said it was fun. <laughs> it's. Oh, I didn't think it was fun, but I can appreciate that you you like the quirkiness of it yeah no i mean i totally get why people would choose to cut that part to make it shorter i totally get that um i don't know on a certain level i do enjoy kind of the overindulgence of some of it although fun fact part of the reason it's four hours um is because hbo actually wanted a mini series right i knew that i remember when that when they first announced they were going to do it that it was initially that's how they announced it it was yeah. going to be a, like a six episode mini series because that's what that's what hbo wanted but warner brothers did not want that right because and they so, don't understand yeah how to make anything good yeah exactly um so warner brothers forced them to to release it all at once Instead of as a mini series, which meant it, it which meant it did get an, an, a more inflated runtime than it previously was going to have, which is going to be three and a half hours. Uh, so fun. Apparently, there's like, apparently he shot up to a five hour version of the film. Dear God. Now, to be fair, though, I think some of that numbering has been slightly exaggerated because it turns out what Zack Snyder actually did was he he would film what the studio wanted him to film and then he would film what he wanted to film. And so like, of course there's going to be a five hour version of the film because he's doing that because he, he's still trying to protect, according to like what I understand from what I, from what I hear from people who work with Zack Snyder is that Zack Snyder is very much about, he will always go to bat for the screenwriter. Um, apparently like he would always, he used to go, he, on um, the Watchmen, he would go to bat for David Hayter, and apparent and like Chris Terrio has even said that he thinks Zack Snyder's Justice League could be called the Chris Terrio cut because um, Chris Terrio was a big advocate for its release and has spoken out about how like Zack Snyder was very like very like defending him to the studio and whatnot. Uh, but I do wonder if Chris Terrio can tell a story that's under four hours. Uh, <laughs> um, where was I? Yes. Uh, I think we were going to talk about Cyborg, weren't we? Uh, now, that was just a way to segue back into the Justice League. But earlier, you did say you had theories on what was going on with Superman. Oh, yeah. So, so, so I think that the anti-life equation might be in uh, Smallville. Okay. Um, and I think that Superman has already been exposed to the anti-life equation by burying him in the ground there, which is why when he comes back from the dead, it's also possible he may have been exposed to it through the mother box itself. Um, but when he comes back, the implication is that he has the, the suit that Cyborg is wearing can tell that he's been, uh, affected and essentially he is not quite himself in that sequence. And the whole point is, and this is vaguely based off some things that um, Zack Snyder and Chris Terrio have said, but basically the idea is that one is that uh, Lois Lane is like Superman's antidote 
to the anti-life equation. Um, there's also some people who believe the anti-life equation may actually be um, the codex from Krypton that has been implanted in him, uh, which would tie, which would kind of tie into like the themes of nurture versus nature and eugenics in Man of Steel. Um, so that's so there's that stuff. But the theory is is that he has already been exposed to anti-life, and the thing that protects him from anti-life is Lois Lane because the because because Superman doesn't actually. There isn't actually a threat of Superman turning evil on his own in the Zack Snyder universe. The implication is that he would ultimately be controlled by the anti-life. And that the thing that protects him from anti-life is how much he loves Lois Lane. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's compelling. I think that's a valid theory. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if we've gotten any evidence that the anti-life equation is in Smallville. But well, I like. So I like actually, it. let me go over why the, I think that. Okay. Um, I think. Well, if it's not in Smallville, it, it might be. In, I think it is at least in America, um, because at the be- in the be- during the history lesson where where Darkseid comes to Earth, mm-hmm. um, it says all the armies of men, uh, and like everyone came to fight him, and the thing is is that we're shown that all the armies of men, as well as the Amazons and the Atlanteans, all arrive by boat. And so the armies of men are made up of um, Asians, Africans, and what appear to be Germanic white people. Fun fact, though, in the Joss Whedon cut, we only see the Germanic white people get off the boat. Which Which is insane to me, because it's like literally less than five seconds of footage just to confirm non-white people were there like that's weird joss that's really weird yeah and it's not even the first time he's done that it's yeah this is this is why when we mentioned joss whedon at the end of the last podcast i was like oh god there's so much to say about him because like what makes him awful is just how he presented himself as being so progressive and like like an advocate or an ally for yeah. minority people and, and marginalized groups of all kinds, whether they were queer or women or brown or whatever. Yep. And he's he's actually just a piece of shit. <laughs> yep. That's like it's so frustrating that, you know, for the longest time he was the guy. Like when it came to genre bending uh yep. fiction, you know, he was mm-hmm. the he was the guy. And it I'm so glad that he isn't anymore, but goddamn. have you you ever read any of the uh the leaked wonder woman script he wrote oh yeah and i wasn't surprised by it because like i i'm a big i mean it's hard for me to like it now um because it's hard for me to separate the art from the artist when you find out you know so and so is a but i'm a huge buffy fan and angel fan um and i even read the comic books and i loved serenity and firefly and and you know dollhouse was really the only thing i didn't like but after watching his entire body of work and realizing that he has like one way of writing characters and he kind of retells the same story over and over Mm -hmm. the most interesting plot lines are usually generated by someone else that he's writing with for example an angel was david greenwald um you find out that he's not actually that versatile of a writer and Mm -hmm. He, his sexist tendencies 
are really apparent if you watch all of his stuff. It's it's hard to ignore. So yeah, when I read the Wonder Woman script, I was not really surprised. I was like, yeah, this this tracks. This is Joss Whedon before an editor, you know. Right. <laughs> Like, honestly, even the most wild part of it was the idea that the main character would actually be Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor, yeah. Like, damn, what the fuck is that? (laughs) Well, he did did that shit back as early as Buffy. I mean, there were several seasons of Buffy where the most compelling characters were, you know, the the male vampire, whether that was Angel or Spike. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the more interesting story arc and character development and some of the, you know, sometimes they would even be the ones that kill the monster of the week. You know, hilariously, was... hilariously Joss Whedon did not want Spike to be a major reoccurring character. Oh yeah, I know. I, I know all the, I know all the Buffy trivia history. I, I know. And, it, and it's, what's even funnier about that is when Spike became such a hit character I guess he like got in James Marster, yeah. the actor, like he got, got into his face. And it's just like, I can't imagine the ego on Joss Whedon because I've watched a lot of interviews with that actor. And he always says that, you know, he was a little bit method. He would really put himself in kind of this dark headspace to play Spike. So imagining like prepping for this role where you're this punk rock, badass vampire and some weird little bald chubby guy gets in your face and yells at you in one interview he said he pushed him against a wall yeah come on like imagine being that much of a narcissistic douchebag to think that that is okay and to not even be worried about someone punching you in the face you know what i mean yeah and like he's the whole thing with charisma carpenter on 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 yeah that was that's absolutely fucked that is an absolutely fucked up story. And that's why I, I totally believe everything that Ray Fisher said, especially when Gal Gadot came out and said that he basically talked to her like she was an idiot and, you know, threatened to like destroy, cut her, her lines or ruin her career or whatever. Yeah. Just, just like what? Just completely narcissistic. Like he's just, he's kind of the worst. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Like, He's like I, he just always, seems like someone I would despise. I always think of the one quote from Ray Fisher where he was like trying to talk to to Joss Whedon about the character, and Joss Whedon responded with, "I, it feels like you're giving me notes, and I don't take notes." Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. didn't even I didn't even take Robert Downey Jr.'s notes. Right, and look how that worked out because Age of Ultron was not very good. So yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's just he's just such a douchebag. It was really frustrating for a long time. I'm telling you, man, like being a nerd for as long as I've been a nerd and I, it was it was one of those talk, talk about being called a contrarian. That's one of the reasons that used to become such a recurring theme in my life with conversations about this stuff because I've always bitched about Joss Whedon. And it's weird that finally the world has like caught up to that. <laughs> Because I used to say, like, he's kind of a hacky writer. And I really was upset when I saw Age of Ultron because it was so, if it, it was it was so annoying. It was like every Joss Whedonism condensed into one movie. Mm-hmm. If you'd seen everything like I had, nothing in Age of Ultron was something you hadn't seen before. And it made everything feel really disingenuous because he wasn't writing for the characters. He was just reusing you know, devices that he's used for everybody, especially with Black Widow. 
Um, but yeah, totally. whatever. I'm glad that we're we're at the point where we can accept that he's a jerk and, and yeah. uh, move on. Same, same. I'm happy about that. For years, I was... I think there's some irony in the fact that, like, people, like... I spent years just being annoyed with, with Joss Whedon fans, like, going on... Every time there'd be, like, an article about, like, shows being renewed or canceled... Mm-hmm. There'd be like a bunch of people in the comments going, oh, they, they keep this show, but they cancel Firefly. Right. Like for decades. Right. Like, come on, God. Yeah. Firefly was a long time ago. Yeah. And I mean, and it was, it was fun. It was cool. But I mean, it wasn't the best science fiction show that was ever made or anything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 the couple episodes I saw, I thought were pretty good. Although I won't lie. Um, the weird accent they developed for that show really threw me at first. Yeah, me too. And I like, and I also just didn't like, uh, well, I mean, the things I didn't like are actually things I don't like about Joss Whedon's work in general. But I, I yeah. just didn't like the mechanic character. I didn't like Summer Glau's character. And the reason I didn't like them had nothing to do with the actresses. It was just the writing because mm-hmm. those same characters exist in every other Joss Whedon show. And it really took me out of the show in the same way that I was taken out of Age of Ultron. And I'm and I like I said, overall, I liked Firefly, but still. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I was never as well versed in uh, in Joss Whedon, but um, when the first time I saw Firefly, and even when I saw it uh, some more later, when my roommate, when one of my roommates in college decided that him and another one of my friends were going to rewatch all of Buffy and Firefly. I didn't like watch it with them, but I caught a few episodes. So I would, it got fairly versed in them. But like the thing with Firefly is that like on a general level, it has no single element that I hadn't felt like I had seen, hadn't seen before somewhere else. Like Western in space is practically a subgenre of anime. Totally. Uh, totally. I, that's actually what I thought when I, when I watched it, I felt like, oh, so Joss Whedon has seen Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah or trigun yeah. or, or trigun. star yeah. or whatever you know and and like the i did they ever eventually introduce sentient aliens in that show because i the first couple episodes i was like are there no aliens no um, uh as far as i know they did not okay so it was like just that, different different civilizations of humans so like even that i've seen like red dwarf does that and like so, like, even that, I wasn't terribly... Like, other sci-fi people have done that before. Um, yeah, there just wasn't... Maybe he did that because he wanted it to feel less like Star Trek. I don't know. But, like, it didn't stop it from occasionally feeling like Star Trek. Yeah, and then, you know, the Reavers, those, like, mm-hmm. barbarian yeah. people. I mean, they might as well have been aliens or demons or something. Because they were completely inhuman. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway. Um, but anyway, so Joss Whedon really screwed up Justice League. And uh, one, several of the characters who really feel like they got screwed over, of course, were Wonder Woman and, and were Cyborg. Cyborg. Um, even though it wasn't as noticeable in the first cut of the film... I also much preferred Flash as well in the uh, in the Snyder cut. 
Um, well, Joss, Whed- Joss Whedon cut like his biggest moment. Oh yeah, yeah, he did. Like in all honesty, like so, like a big thing with me in the in Zack Snyder's Justice League is I genuinely, it has one of my favorite final acts of a superhero movie ever. If I'm being honest, like, like the way it all builds up to the final battle and the fact that like every character on the team is important to how it comes out like that. I really appreciated and enjoyed. And, and the Flash's big moment where he, where he time travels, like honestly, one of my favorite moments ever. I absolutely love the way that the final act of that movie goes. It, yeah absolutely love it i also i love the i love the resurrection scene in Zack snyder's justice league also um because it it has such pathos to it like as that as the flash is running towards the cube to do it there's simultaneously like this sense that he's running towards hope but he's also running towards destruction at the same time I don't know. I just really love that scene. And I love the scene with, I love, I love the, the arc of like Ray Fisher, like Cyborg's character through the movie, the stuff with his dad, the stuff with his, uh, with his mom, him dealing with his powers. I really like that stuff. Like I, that's the, the part where he helps that woman uh, who's uh, being evicted from her home. Like I really really dug uh cyborg in the movie and where they were going with it. it was a, they they went with like more of a serious version of cyborg which is truer to his uh very like his earlier appearances yeah in, yeah they in, were going with not, not the teen titans they were going more with like teen titans the comic instead of teen titans the cartoon right right um, um which, which i dug I don't know I really liked uh, I really liked almost everything with Cyborg in the in that version, which is interesting because like in hindsight, like everything in comparison with Cyborg in the weeding cut is not good. No, it isn't. Um, yeah, it it isn't. Like like I said, that's that's to me one thing that no matter what we think of the film, I, it, it's impossible in my opinion to come up with a valid argument that anyone could have ever had, had that Joss Whedon's version is the better movie he made it worse in every way that you could (laughs) yeah it like seems malicious it seems deliberate like he was trying to make a bad movie like they still keep Zack Snyder's name as the director in the credits so like it almost feels like they're trying to like stick it to Zack Snyder yeah right once they realized the movie was shit and several insiders have said that studio executives when they saw Whedon's cut knew it was shit I mean how could you not You'd yeah, have to exactly. really like have never seen a movie before. I will admit the first time I saw it, I overlooked a lot of things because I had this emotional investment in the characters. But like when I rewatched it, I was suddenly like, wait a minute, this is terrible. It's literally just a bunch of like some cool action scenes that are like strung together by scenes where characters just like talk to each other in either um exposition dialogue or just are talking to each other saying literally nothing that could ever matter like in the Joss Whedon version the scene between Wonder Woman and Batman like you could make the argument that maybe they, they he quote unquote 
wrote them closer to who they are. But like, if you think about what they're actually saying in the scene, it's meaningless. Like, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's just, the dialogue does nothing for the story and has no purpose. It's like, God damn, Joss Whedon. Yeah, and the, the other thing that Joss Whedon added, which was super strange, especially seeing the Snyder Cut, uh, was like, he completely changed the dynamic between Aquaman and Cyborg. Like, yeah. in his cut of the movie, they were, like, antagonistic to each other, which made no sense. And then in the Snyder movie, they were, like, kind of bros, which made way more sense because they were both, like, people that were somewhat angry at the world. It made sense that they might bond. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the scene where where, where Cyborg is searching for the mother box and Aquaman is, like, saying that that's a lot to put on a person who's just lost yeah. their father. yeah. And Flash is all like, I thought you didn't care. And he's like, I never said I didn't care. Yeah, I like that moment. Uh, who else I did? I, I, what the other thing was is that I actually like a thing. There were several things about the Snyder Cut I actually didn't expect. Um, one is which actually I thought there was a lot of more humor in it than I was anticipating. Um, and also... Uh, I was not expecting to like Steppenwolf as much more as I did. Well, they actually um, made him a character. I yeah, mean, exactly. I, I, like, I still think he is pretty lame, but at least in the Snyder Cut, he was actually a character, you know, yeah. that had a personality. He had, he had wants and <laughs> stakes of his own. He had things that right. made him a real character as opposed yeah. to just whatever the fuck was happening in the Justice yeah. League version. And like... That was another thing, like a thing that stood out for me, like Joss Whedon wise, is there's a scene in the movie where like he's interrogating the people to try and find the mother box. And like literally, there's this like he kills, he just kills a woman to set up a joke. And it's so like, I don't know, it, it was very cringy to me. Like in hindsight, Joss Whedon's version of the film feels incredibly sexist and racist and it's weird how much it does i mean it's it's that's how i feel re-watching any of his stuff and i mean honestly up until justice league one of the things that even i said as someone who's bitched about him for a long time i still made excuse like well this was made in the 90s you know Mm. things were a little different back then uh but no, he, it's just who he is because he did it in Justice League, which was, you know, pretty recent movie. <laughs> and like, he also, he did that weird thing where he, so like, according to like Terry and Zack Snyder, like they specifically said it in like this abandoned Chernobyl area because people were getting so mad at them about like civilian casualties to get them away from people. And then, <laughs> and then so Zack, so Joss Whedon, writes people into the Chernobyl area. Like, and by the way, I'm not mispronouncing Chernobyl. I'm just, I mean, Chernobyl-esque. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Not just clarifying for you, but for anyone who might be listening. Uh, So, so like the Russian family is dumb. Like the Russian family he puts in there is dumb because like the whole thing, like he sets up this thing earlier in the movie that the parademons can smell fear. Mm -hmm. And yet the parademons can't find these Russian families. 
And apparently, if Superman's flying off of an entire tenement building, there's apparently a bunch of Russian families uh, hiding out here. So, like, why did the parademons never find them? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make, make sense. It doesn't make sense. And also, the the fear thing, every part of the fear thing was lame, too. Like, like when I sat down, like, when I was in the theater and I was watching uh, Justice League and the opening credits for a moment made me think it was going to be awesome. Like the opening credits with that song, which now when I go back and rewatch it, I feel like seems very meta. Um, like felt it, it's, it's ironically the most Zack Snyder feeling part of the Joss Whedon version of justice league. And it's not, it's something Joss Whedon made up himself. And that for when I, that part gave me chills when I was in the movie theater. I was like, okay, maybe this is going to be awesome. And then, uh, and then the scene where Batman is interrogating that guy over, over an alley happened. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> this scene is terrible. Yeah. Cause that scene is terrible. Yeah. It's bad. Like he j- like the dialogue in it is so bad. And like, the whole him using that guy as bait and like these shots are like the the shots for the scene are bad and like it that's a scene that only gets worse the more i watch it too like damn that was the first warning sign that what i was going to watch was going to be terrible <laughs> yeah but yeah he really really fucked over ray fisher yeah, I'm interested to see if he ends up making anything else. I mean, I know I'm trying to like not He's been doing talking TV about Joss Whedon. Um, um, Ray Fisher I, has been doing I, some TV acting. Good. I was going to say, I, yeah, I hope Joss Whedon didn't actually poison the well for that guy. And mm-hmm. he could, yeah, you know, he was he in. Uh, he was in that movie. He was in that show, The Women of the Movement, and he was in a season of uh, True Detective. And uh, he's gonna be in—he's uh, gonna be in Zack Snyder's new movie. I Netflix. didn't know he—I didn't know he was in True Detective. I've seen all the seasons. He's um, in season three. He's—he's uh, he's, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from uh, the guy from the Green Book. Even though I haven't seen that movie, I don't know why I would use it as my point of reference. But um, uh, what's his name? The black guy from that movie. Um. The guy who's Blade now. The guy who's Blade now. Oh, Mahershala Ali. Yes. Um, he's that kid. He's that guy's son. Word. Okay. Right on. Well, he was good in that then. Yeah. Um, so, and he's going to be in uh, that new Zack Snyder movie for uh, Netflix also. Word. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, yeah, let's see here. Who haven't we touched on yet? <laughs> that uh, character-wise, um, yeah. Oh, he. Oh my God! A thing I really can't go back and watch in the Justice we the Justice League version, is the uh, is the scene between Aquaman and Amber Heard. Oh, the, with. I, I didn't like Mara's presence in the Zack Snyder version either. I don't know why she was suddenly like from London. That was a little weird. 
Well, yeah, um, no, but like that's kind of the thing that makes it really weird in the Justice League version. Because I, when I went back and watched it, I noticed that like they didn't reshoot that scene. They just used digital distortion to try and distract you from her accent. <laughs> and so like when you watch the Justice League version, it's like, oh, oh, God. Yeah. Like it's so much. It's so t- like at once you know what her voice sounded like in the Zack Snyder cut, you like you can't not hear the distortion happening in that scene. It's so bad. Um, although I will say, I love the scene where she starts to blood bend uh, the, all the water out of, uh, out of Steppenwolf. That was cool. Do you, if you remember that part. Yeah, me. I do remember that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, man. Not just not an Amber Heard fan? Obviously, no, I'm not. I- she, she does seem like, like a crazy person. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not even talking about the court stuff. I just don't really think she's that good. Um, I I thought she was okay in Zack Snyder's Justice League, but like, she is definitely like a, a weak point of the Aquaman movie. I would say. Yeah, the Aquaman movie is is definitely what made made me realize. Oh yeah, I just don't like her very much because mm-hmm. her character just got on my nerves throughout most of that movie. I will say that overall, I actually like the Aquaman movie, uh, but I do. There are two things in it that like don't really fly for me. Um, for starters, some of the music in that movie is very cringe. Like, no, oh, you you don't like the uh, synth wave. Uh... <laughs> that was that was cringe, and also <laughs> like the music they played in the desert in general, like that whole sequence. I was like, this music feels like it's from 30, 30 years ago in this sequence, and I don't appreciate it. Um, but the other thing is just that like, a lot of the dialogue in, in Aquaman is very cheesy. And the only, like, like the only thing that is actually funny about Aquaman's pop culture references is that he keeps making them to people who have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. And which is actually confirmed when Mira finds the Pinocchio book. And she's like, oh, that thing you said was real. It's like, oh, yeah. None of these aqua, none of these Atlanteans have any idea what the fuck he's talking about when he references popular culture. Right. Like, so like the jokes in that movie are very cringe for me. And I'm hoping the dialogue is better in the sequel. But I did, I thought, I did really enjoy the action in that movie. Uh, it is also a great movie to watch on drugs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I mean, James Wan movies are pretty entertaining in that respect. Yeah, they're very visual, and I, I enjoy that. Um, I actually, I enjoyed, um, I did not know what to think about it, but after I saw it the second time, I actually enjoyed um, Malignant a lot, especially when on the second viewing, I realized how much of the movie was him trolling his own fans. Right. Yeah, he definitely has a sense of humor. Um, but yeah, just the, the dialogue and some of the music in that movie was just like, oh, God. But I, I did, I appreciate it. I liked the emotional grounding of the film, and I liked the action sequences, and I generally like Jason Momoa as Aquaman, although I've heard rumors that, it, that he is kind of a piece of shit in real life. Huh, uh, that's a drag. Yeah. I know someone. I know someone who's a nanny who knew their nanny, um, and uh, the stories about both him and Zoe Kravitz are not really 
flattering. Damn, that's a drag. Yeah, that is a drag because I did I do like him and enjoy him as an actor. Uh but uh but yeah. Uh so yeah, okay, so Aquaman. Uh generally speaking, I liked Aquaman was one of the people who was least damaged by the Joss Whedon cut, I would say. Uh, there wasn't a lot to damage. I mean, it was mm-hmm. their version of Aquaman, which I'm not honestly crazy about, if I'm, I'll just be upfront, uh, is kind of a meathead jock yeah. bro. So, you know, so long as he's <laughs> he's like that, he's hard to mess up. That's fair. I mean, I he reminds me a lot of 90s Aquaman. Did you ever read 90s Aquaman? Yeah, I mean, and I get that, but it's just... No, I hear you. I don't know. It's definitely it's not the it's only take weird. on the character. That's for sure. Right. Um, and if I had not read 90s Aquaman, I would probably be less favorable to him, if I'm being honest. But I grew up on 90s Aquaman, so like I'm used to like edgy, bearded Aquaman. I mean, that's not even that's not even just the problem. I mean, I, it's I don't know. It's just a bizarre casting. I mean, he he is a more thoughtful character and so they cast like a guy known for being like a beefcake and then wrote him to be you know oh he's a badass who drinks whiskey and walks in slow motion with his shirt off and women smell his clothes it's just i don't know it's a weird it's a weird take on this like thoughtful mystical king you know and like i would have cast jamie lannister's actor you know what I mean? Like there, that looks like Arthur Curry, Aquaman. He can have the beard or not have the beard. He can do both types of Aquaman. If you're going to give him the beard, then you got to chop his hand off and give him the hook hand. But it's like, they're not even committing to that. I don't know. Again, I mean, maybe just, they there's thought, no identity. Maybe they thought that would be, maybe they thought they were already throwing too much like established stuff at this. Cause that is a problem with the, the DC universe like doesn't really hold the audience's hand as much as the Marvel universe has. And like, I do think that's caused as much as it annoys me when movies hold people's hands, I do think it's caused some of their issues with penetrating popular culture, so to speak. Like sometimes when I'm watching Marvel movies, I feel like I'm being spoon fed. Oh yeah, I do too. I mean, and then that seems to be getting, worse as time mm-hmm. goes on which is even more frustrating because of how they ignore their own continuity now uh yeah. it seems like with every movie they ignore more of their continuity but they're still telling you the story like you're a kid so it's just insulting your memory as well as your intelligence <laughs> yeah i hear that uh let's see here what what else have we not uh i think i think we're pretty much caught up we just haven't discussed the second Suicide Squad and we haven't discussed the second Wonder Woman, but we kind of already touched on the second Wonder Woman. Neither of us liked it. Well, Um, actually, I would like to clarify my stance on the second Wonder Woman movie. Okay. I have not rewatched the movie, and I feel like I should. Um, But I was going through an interesting period of my life when I saw the first Aquaman, I mean, the second Wonder Woman movie. Um, and, And like, I had a lot of thoughts and feelings when I was watching it and uh and I was I was I was at his world so to speak 
while I was watching it also, but, uh, but so like, the thing I didn't, the thing I, the thing that gave me the most mixed feelings was the way the movie was set up. Because the movie is set up as an homage to like a very specific period of superhero movies that if I'm being completely honest, is not a great period of film. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of. There are great movies that came out of the 80s. But like, I'm tired of the homages to the 80s. Yeah, I, I really am too. Am. It's, it's overdone at this point. I will say that I thought Wonder Woman did it in more tasteful manner than a lot of other people do. Oh man, see, that, I disagree. I felt well, like it was... well, let me explain what I mean by that specifically, and maybe you'll understand where I'm coming from. Okay. Um, for starters, um, I heard some people complain that the film didn't feature any like classic 80s music, mm-hmm. which I think is insane. I would rather have a score by Hans Zimmer any day of the week than a bunch of like pop hits from the 80s. Yeah, that we hear um, in every other thing set in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, like, I thought the soundtrack, at least, was more tasteful in terms of its representation of the 80s. And, and like, I will say that I appreciated that it more tried to be a movie from the 80s than just a constant, hey, it's the 80s. Um, but, like, at the same time, like, the things that, like, a lot of stuff you would take from things from the 80s aren't great. Like, a lot of people were like, oh, that thing with Steve Trevor is really problematic. And I'm like, yeah, but it's also really on brand for an 80s movie. For an 80s movie, sure. Like, yeah. that is the exact type of shit 80s movies would do. Don't think about the fact that Big's really a kid. Don't think about... <laughs> Don't think about right. how rapey these John Hughes movies are. It, it, like, very on point for the 80s. Um, so like not everything from the eighties is worth emulating. Also, like, do we need an homage to like the eighties Superman movies? Cause the good Superman movie came out in the seventies. Um, and it's just yeah, and very, I, and I, and I also, I also thought it was weird that they included the Linda Carter stuff because mm-hmm. again, that was also the seventies. That's not an eighties thing. Mm-hmm. you know I, so like, I, I thought it was in there. I, yeah I mean that's cool but like I don't know I, I kind of think it would have been a more interesting movie if they had said it in the 70s but that's just me I um, mean I would have rather seen it in the 70s I mean the 70s would have been the period that this take on Wonder Woman would have lined up with like that's what I'm saying like like it, it's I feel like these movies, I feel like people only think about them for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, Jeff Johns also co-wrote 184. So. Of course he did. Where he can't keep his slimy hands off of things. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah. So like, I don't appreciate how, the, how cheesy the movie is. I appreciate that they like, like I kind of felt like did a more like, I didn't, I didn't feel like they threw the 80s in my face as much as other 80s movies do but at the same time like I don't care for that period and I don't care for how cheesy it was and like some of the dialogue and like the action scenes are just a little bit you know I mean like 
the one with the truck specifically like had me rolling my eyes a bit but the thing is is that like i really like how the movie ends and that may sound insane to some people but i kind of like but at the end of the movie i liked the idea that it didn't end with with like i like that it was a non-violent solution i like and the uh, and when that when that when uh when maxwell lord like ran up to his kid like i fucking cried my goddamn eyes out like that whole exchange of him or his kid where like his kid where he was like admitting to his kid that he's not a good guy oh my god that, I, that fucking wrecked me yeah yeah it didn't it didn't wreck me but i do think pedro pascal is a good actor like uh yeah no so like it's like i can't fully hate that movie and maybe i'd feel differently about seeing it again but like in the moment like it was the most cathartic thing that had happened to me in a long time uh and like that's part of the theatrical experience is the catharsis and if i'm being honest like a major reason i don't know uh these movies we talk about they just i get a lot of catharsis out of them and that's that's kind of a big part of it for me with these movies specifically like a big deal with like honestly one of the reasons i'm not as hot on sort of the mcu is that like there's only a couple mcu movies where i feel any real catharsis um so like that's kind of so like if i had to like sum it up is as like that like that's my deal like dc movies like for some reason give me this catharsis that i don't get in a lot of other places um like even suicide squad um like yes. the, the scene uh, where which which i that movie made me feel numb <laughs> Like the scene where he, the scene where the final fight in in that movie, where the scene where Will Smith um, has to shoot the bomb, and and the enchantress appears to him as his daughter to tempt him away from saving the world, and he like has to look his daughter in the eye and like deny her to save the world, like to tear out the part of him, the only the only no he has to kill the only good part of himself in that moment to save the world like i don't know that got to me i didn't bawl my eyes out like i did at wonder woman 84 with maxwell lord but like like it hit like i'm like when i the first few times i saw that like it just like hit me every time i don't know uh have you seen the extended cut of that movie by the way uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think I have. So the extended cut, they don't put back any any of the stuff that I really think they should have. But I will say the extended cut is better than the theatrical cut um, in a couple of interesting ways. Um, one, it puts back in at least one scene to, to remind you that um, Harley and Joker's relationship is is bad um that's a thing that the studio like that's a thing that got cut out of the theatrical cut was a lot was in the in the original cut well Ayer's cut of the film uh it was much more clear that they had a nasty abusive codependent relationship but that doesn't sell hot topic t-shirts right uh so the studio wasn't happy about that part uh so they put back at least one of those scenes in the extended cut 
And also they, there's one part where, where basically Joker in the, in the scene where he's torturing her, they throw back in the line in a line there that's very illuminating for his character, which is that he blames her for the fact that he doesn't remember who he is anymore. I see. Like the implication is that her therapy only made him a worse person. Okay. And, um, but the other thing it puts, but the, the weird thing about it though, is that like, honestly, it's just like random seconds and moments here that just smooth out the pacing of the film is, is mostly what the extended cut is. Um, also some more character stuff. Arguably also more stuff where it's just people walking through a city talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So the second Suicide Squad movie. Right, yeah. Another movie that I think had a really good cast, but I didn't I didn't like it overall. Uh, but it's, again, uh, because I don't like James Gunn very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because if this is supposed to exist in the DCEU, it's just yet another case of it having no identity because it does not fit the tone you know at all (laughs) i mean i don't i don't mind if like i don't mind necessarily if like movies in the same universe don't always have the same tone because i mean like comics in the same universe don't always have the same tone and like i do feel like there's i do feel like there's like i don't think shazam should have had the same tone as almost any of the movies we've been discussing uh, and yet it is set in the same universe. Yeah, and it's weird. It's placed in the weird. universe is weird. I'm okay with it being a little weird, but I'm, I'm a weird guy. But anyways, back to back to Suicide Squad. Um, the Suicide Squad, I should say. Right, yeah. I had, um, I actually had to watch this movie twice to try and figure out how I felt about it. Um, because I had... Because like my major reaction to it was is that on a certain level, I thought it was technically better than the first movie. Sure. But at the same point, it didn't really have, it only had like small amounts of the things that made me love the first movie, which was the stuff that was like it getting the characters that I was familiar with so right. Uh, because... David Ayer's approach was, I'm going to take the popular characters from the original comics and the new 52, and I'm going to try and work them together as best I can. Right. And James Gunn's approach was, what if I just make grab like a bunch of really weird deep cuts to throw in this movie? And like some of them are from uh, Suicide Squad comics, uh, but like a bunch of them never been in the comics. Yeah, I know. And especially from the main team, <laughs> like uh, like the only people on the main team who were in the comics before James Gunn uh, were Harley, uh, Flag, and King Shark. But Ratcatcher Two, yeah, like- Ratcatcher Two, and and that which is just such a James Gunn character and. King Shark was also such. He didn't act like King Shark from the comics. In fairness, for 
had nothing to do with blood sport from the comics i mean it just i i don't know man there's there's so many reasons i don't fucking like these movies <laughs> so like in i will say in fairness to king shark king shark is not exactly a comic book character known for consistent portrayals <laughs> like i mean i think i think there i think he's been consistent in the past have you like, read him in decades. the new 52 Yeah, I do. I think I think he was pretty consistent. I mean, but he also was he wasn't exactly like uh a, a super verbal intelligent dude either. No, but he wasn't Groot. <laughs> I mean, I mean, well, I mean there is there are those uh Gail Simone comics where he he, he has the line King Shark is a shark uh where he just repeats that a bunch. Uh but uh See, I would actually say, I actually thought the rats reminded, the rats kind of reminded me more of Groot, to be honest. There was a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy in that movie, just overall. Um, I mean, there was a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy and fucking Peacemaker, too. It's one of the reasons it got on my nerves. The whole eagle thing was just so irritating to me. But um, it, 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 it jumped the shark for you. That was where you're like, nope, yeah. too dumb. It's too dumb. Yeah. I was too dumb and too quick with the dumbness. Oh, man. Yeah, dude, James Gunn. <laughs> it just gets on my nerve. If that makes me a curmudgeon, so be it. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I, I do have, I, I think I definitely like James Gunn more than you, but I do have my uh, issues with him. Um, like, ironically, like the thing with su- The Suicide Squad, excuse me, is um, I found its soundtrack, ironically, uh, to be possibly the least memorable of all of James Gunn's soundtracks. Um, in fact, I would even say it was less memorable than David Ayer's Suicide Squad soundtrack, which was scored with music that David Ayer didn't want. Right. Um, but uh, but like literally, like there's only two, like only two of the songs on the Suicide Squad's soundtrack stood out to me, which was uh, Folsom Prison. And uh, all my friends are dead. And then after that, not a single other memorable song. I mean, arguably, whatever the hell was playing when when uh, Harley Quinn was doing her thing. But the fact that I have to refer to it as whatever the hell was playing when Harley Quinn was doing her thing sort of like says it can't have been that memorable. <laughs> Yeah, I remember they had a, a Decemberist song. <laughs> that might have been the one, actually. I, I don't. That, I don't dislike the Decemberist. I, I don't either. It's just again, it's it's one of those mm-hmm. it's one of those things where people will you know act like James Gunn just has some deep mm-hmm. uh, deep ab- uh, catalog of of music, and the Decemberists are arguably one of the best known like indie bands. Mm-hmm. That's um, fair. Yeah, they are. I know they also had a Pixies song. I don't remember which one, but I was irritated that it was in the movie because the movie is not good enough to use the Pixies <laughs> in their soundtrack. That's um, something that bugs me about Zack Snyder, actually. You can't fucking use Leonard Cohen in a oh, come on. superhero movie. Get oh, out of here. On. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit that it was his daughter's favorite song. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> no, you come on. I like that. 
I'm allowed to like that too. Yeah, I guess you uh, you're allowed to. I I rolled my eyes and sighed deeply. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also very. I mean, like in regards to at least the trailer, it it was very meta. Because he was, yeah. Because he's specifically using. Have you ever heard Leonard Cohen's explanation of like that version of the song? Yes. It's like about how like how the artist never knows how he's going to be like received by its audience. But uh, so uh, so the one like legitimate like I'm I'm not a purist anymore. When I was a kid, I was a purist about these things, but like I've gotten over that. So like I can kind of accept some of the changes to the characters, especially since some of them were characters I never care that much about. Um, the most on character, the most on point character thing for Bloodsport, of course, was that he shot Superman, uh, but that was about it. Although I did grow to like his character in the movie, I never, I never got into Ratcatcher as much as everyone else seemed to. Like everyone else seemed to be like, I mean, she was she was cute. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't I hate understand her. Why people? I understand why people liked her. The yeah. the actress was was cute and she yeah. was charming and the rats were cute. So but I she know, just I never I, I did like her. She just never won me over to the point where like everyone said was like, Oh, she's Ratcatcher two's the heart of the movie. Yeah. I well I didn't feel like anybody had enough gravity to them to be the heart of anything, which is just my overall general problem with DC stuff. But Definitely with the Suicide Squad. And I mean, Bloodsport was cool. I actually really liked his costume. Mm-hmm. I liked Idris Elba. I just don't understand why it had to be Bloodsport. There was nothing about him, like you said, aside from him shooting Superman, that res- that resembled the character. Why didn't they just come up with a new character or something? I mean, I don't understand. Especially, and it's, it's something that James Gunn keeps doing, because the way he did the Guardians of the Galaxy, none of those characters are like they are in the comic. Yeah, I mean, now yeah. the comics kind of resemble the movies more, mm-hmm. but Star Lord, like, talk—it's a completely different character. Like, he know? gets away with these things because because they're more niche comics, right? I, I, and I know that, but to me, it's like if you're gonna adapt something, mm-hmm. I, you know, at least adapt it. I don't know. Try to try a little bit. Try to have some of the essence mm-hmm. of the comic in the adaptation. My probably my favorite part though of James Gunn's uh The Suicide Squad um is Rick Flagg. Um I do I liked Rick Flagg in both movies. And honestly, for a good portion of James Gunn's uh Suicide Squad, it Rick Flagg was kind of the character keeping me in it. Of course. I agree. I agree. And then they had him killed by Peacemaker, which I just couldn't, I couldn't accept that. It was like, no way, dude. In the comics, Rick Flagg would completely destroy Peacemaker. Like, it would be, it wouldn't even be a contest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and then, uh, well, I mean, in the movie, Peacemaker yeah. kills him with a bathroom tile, which again, like in a movie that was so silly and stupid to have this brutal fight scene that ends in such a nasty you know, almost prison scene kind of way felt very jarring from the rest of the film, you know? I mean, it was pretty rated R for most of it. Um, I will say, 
I didn't hate that scene, although I had a very mixed emotional reaction to what was happening. Um, and like, part of me, like, here's the one thing about the movie is that like, I called almost all the deaths. Like before I even saw the movie, I was like, okay, this is who I bet dies. And this is who I bet lives. And like, literally the only one that caught me off guard uh, was the weasel. But that was only because they faked his death in the beginning. Um, oh, they also faked me out with Peacemaker too, um, which I would have been fine if he died. Uh, but oh yeah, the, dude, honestly, that episode almost won me over to the show. And then when everybody t- turned out to be okay, I was just pissed because I, I was say- like, oh, this show is actually taking a risk. And then no, no, it's not. I will say. <laughs> I did like the sh- Peacemaker did do the one thing that I said it better damn well do, which was tie in like him killing Rick Flag as a traumatic event for him. Like if it had not done that, I almost definitely would have written it off completely. Um, they were smart enough to do that though. But I, I will say there's a part of me as a hardcore Suicide Squad comic fan, there was a part of me that was like, ugh. I guess this is the building that Rick Flagg died in in the, in the comics. That's yeah. This building fell on him in the comics. That is how he died, yeah. or well, died at one point. They brought him back later, but you know. But yeah, mm-hmm. no. Rick Flagg was my favorite character. When he died, I was like, ugh, disappointed. Yeah, it just sucked. I mean, and I it's it's one of those things like I kind of expected him to die. What I was kind of I hoping with die. that movie what I was kind of hoping with that movie, and I knew it wouldn't happen when, you know, Harley Quinn was in it, but I did kind of hope, you know, when I heard that James Gunn was putting a new team together for it, mm-hmm. that everyone would die in the end. Because that would be awesome. Um and a really fun way to use D-list deep cut characters, but that's not what they ended up doing. And it kind of, yeah, it just made the movie kind of cheap to me overall. And, so, and, and Starro too, again, it's like, so yeah, let me, I had the same problem in Multiverse of Madness actually with their use of uh, Shumagorath as just a stupid monster. And then they did the same thing in the Suicide Squad where so. I do have a lot of thoughts on Starro. Okay. Um, for starters, I don't think Starro is necessarily just a stupid villain in it. Um, because there are, because Starro does communicate to the audience through the people it's possessed. But there's one choice they make with it, which I thought was just, <sighs> James Gunn made a choice with that movie, with Starro specifically, that made me think that's, the worst choice that's not the better choice that's a choice that like limits your faces off yeah the fact that people can't survive having him on their face limits what you can do with the character not expands it i agree i agree with you like the fact that like and actually even if it does kill people like the fact that there was not a point in this movie where we had where we saw like some of the guys from the beach should have been captured and starified like yeah. how did that not happen yeah there was like how do you make this movie and not have there be a part where suicide squad members fight suicide squad members where one side has starros yeah on? exactly it seems like a like, no-brainer right yes that is a no-brainer 
See, you're 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 describing the reasons I don't like the movie, but you're saying you did like the movie. <laughs> I mean, so like the thing is, is that like I enjoyed it overall, but like I actually did have significantly more mixed feelings about this one than the first one, which is weird because structurally, this one has a more coherent plot. And it's and I mean it for better or for worse, it it does look better i mean like mm-hmm. look well, more yeah, polished, uh, rather um, yeah because um uh a trailer company didn't come in just they say yeah. oh, let's let's make this cool to look like on drugs right uh but yeah also they should not have cut out the scene where the thinker uses his powers um there was apparently a deleted because like they never had him use his powers no like, but there was a deleted scene. Like, if you pay attention to the movie, there's a part where you notice it's a band-aid on his ear. And he's not and he, the way he gets the band-aid on his ear is he's supposed to try and use his powers on Polka Dot Man. And Polka Dot Man is supposed to shoot off a piece of his ear. I see. But they didn't do it, which means that his character never uses his powers, which is lame as fuck. That being said, uh, I did think the movie had uh, some pretty decent action scenes. Overall, I did grow to like most of the characters. Um, I did have to watch it twice before I actually decided whether or not I liked it at all. Uh, Which is not a thing that happens to me a lot, actually. Like, I do have a belief that you can't truly know whether or not a movie is bad or good unless you've seen it more than once. I think that's valid. But at the same time, like, you normally at least get a, get an impression, you know? Like, it's a much less, like, it happens that you go back and rewatch a movie and go, oh, this was better than I remembered it. But that's not as common as you see something and you're like, oh, man, that's awesome. And then you come back to it later and you're like, oh, it's still awesome. I mean, to be fair, you do occasionally come back to a movie later and be like, oh, man. Yeah. Why did I like this? Dude, that's how I feel about, um, oh man, and I actually what? don't even want to say this, because I, I, I was about to say it, but I feel like it'll totally uh, derail everything that we've been discussing. I should probably keep that to myself. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I really want to know your unpopular opinion. Uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. Okay, so I have very mixed feelings on Sam Raimi's Spider-Man Oh man, I can't watch them anymore. I think they're really bad, and it's... So- it sucks because I mean, for all this time, I've thought Spider Man Two is one of the best fucking movies, and now, uh, anyway, yeah, go on. <laughs> I actually like Spider Man Two better now than when I first saw it. Interesting, because when I first saw it, I had it had been super hyped up for me. Like everyone, everyone just kept telling me, "Oh, it's the greatest comic book movie ever! It's so right, good." Yeah. And then I saw it, and I was like this is what you think is the greatest comic book movie ever? Yeah. And like, like I watched, I rewatched it leading up to uh, No Way Home and it actually did make me appreciate it more. Um, although the big joke that I say is that Tobey Maguire, I think of him as the Spider-Man that does not fuck. Oh, for sure. Cause like, I actually think he's a really bad Peter Parker, but I don't blame him for the, that's totally a script issue that's not a toby like honestly no way homes 
No Way Home made his Spider-Man better to me. I 100% agree with you. Because I was actually, I didn't really give a shit. That's that's how cynical I've become. <laughs> Is I that love- I, at this point, I didn't, I didn't even care about the sweet cameos of the other two Spider-Man until I saw the film. And yeah, I was actually glad because it made Toby cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it made, like it made his, like it, it also made like, it, it felt like it made his character like cooler retroactively too. Yeah, I agree with like, you. Like there was something about like seeing that like weird borderline, he's this, if he wasn't obsessed with, if he wasn't so fixated on being Spider-Man, he would probably turn into an incel <laughs> element to his character that like, you get to see him as an old guy and you're like, okay, he turned out all right. He, he's still a little bit weird. Like he's still like the like, like he, like he's definitely the neurodiverse Spider-Man of the group. One hundred percent. Like I'm not saying any specific diagnosis there, but like, not neurotypical. Um, yeah, but like I, for me personally, <laughs> I, I like that the, interpretation. <laughs> I like Andrew Garfield's uh, Peter Parker. He's the be best Peter Parker, hands yeah, down. No. Hands down, he is the best Peter Parker. The only complaint I had about him, again, was not his fault. Mm -hmm. Um, It was in his movies. They made Peter Parker a little too stylish. They made him a a little too cool. I mean, the Um, thing is is that he's... Like, it's weird, because, like, he looks like adult Spider-Man. Yeah, he does. He's playing the young Spider-Man. No, I think he's supposed to be an adult in in No Way Home. Oh, I mean, in No Way Home, he's definitely an adult. I meant meant in the... uh, I'm in, in the amazing Spider-Man. Oh yeah, I know. He, they should have they should have cast him as in my opinion the best era of Spider-Man anyway. They should have cast him as college Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um that would have been so fucking cool and I hope we get to see it someday. I hope that he gets another Spider-Man movie and we get to see that because There's a lot of rumors that because, he might be in Secret Wars. Oh, that that would be dope. But yeah, he's he's definitely the best Peter that we've had. No question yeah. at is, all. He's definitely one of my favorite Spider-Man for sure. And like honestly, like, like he's part of the reason it's hard for me not to love No Way Home. <laughs> yeah, No Way Home was a fun movie. I mean, yeah. it wasn't a perfect movie, and it's not one of my favorites, but it was definitely a fun movie. Absolutely. Um, there were just like some things I thought were missed opportunities, like Tony versus Willem Dafoe or Toby versus Willem Dafoe again. That would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it also would have been cool if we saw uh, just a little bit more villain interaction in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I liked I liked the Aunt May death. I mean, not because I liked seeing her die, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I thought that it was, was a, a pretty good, good retooling. Yeah, it was. And 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 I liked how he learned the great power, great responsibility lesson. But then he also still got the Uncle Ben lesson because of the other spider-man so it like it was a cool way to do it yeah um absolutely the uh so spider-man one by sam raimi i enjoy but it is very i can't stand that movie anymore it's cheesy like it's like some of it like sam raimi's a cheesy guy that's the thing i've accepted about him it's also why occasionally I don't get into Sam Raimi, but he's a cheesy guy. And I, you just, you gotta, if you're watching a Sam Raimi movie, you gotta, you gotta almost accept that some of, there's going to be some cheese. Sometimes it's a grilled cheese and sometimes it's uh, just something that has cheese on it. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it works when he's when he's working with Bruce Campbell, except in Multiverse of Madness. That was totally stupid. But, you know, Evil Dead movies that. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's an age thing. And maybe that's part of why I don't like the movies anymore, because some things don't look very good today. Mm -hmm. But man, yeah, it's just it's hard because, like I said, I don't blame Toby for this, but spider-man does not act like spider-man it's like the same issue that we talked about earlier with michael keaton's batman mm-hmm. it's like not a problem with the guy you know it's not a problem with his performance but is this really an adaptation of batman i mean what are we watching here bat you know batman deleafully blowing people up i don't know spider-man the way that he learned to use his powers and the mm-hmm. swinging and the fact that his webs are or Organic, which I'm glad they made a joke out of in No Way Home. I mean, there's just so much there that's like <laughs> that's <not right>. Spider-Man. <laughs> that's right. I remember that. The other guys were like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um... And Mary Jane, too, is completely, she does not oh, act yeah. like Mary Jane. Yeah, no, she, she didn't really. kind of like an asshole. Yeah, she, <laughs> so like, that, that, so like my major problem with Spider-Man 2, because I did, I do have a problem with Spider-Man 2. I mean, like, I, when I when I watched it, I appreciated it more. But, like, there's a massive, I have a massive problem with the narrative. Because I'm a big, when it kinda, I'm a big plot narrative guy when it comes to enjoying these these types of things. Yeah. And, like, mean. the part, the fact that he gets, gets, like, all hung up on being Spider-Man for that, and there's that whole sequence with him, he's just... Like the thing is, is he's 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 on his way to see Mary Jane's play, yeah. and and on his way there, he's driving his moped, and then suddenly a bunch of bank robbers run over his moped. Right. And like the thing about that sequence is, is that we're then then he it makes him late for the show. He can't get in. Um, I mean, it is explained later that he never tries to see it again. Which what the fuck, Peter? Right. That is you totally. big old you, you giant. Yeah incel uh, <laughs> yeah. and then but like the whole thing is is that like he he like blames himself being spider-man right for him not making it a thing and, but the thing is like, if he wasn't spider-man that's not what happened he would just be dead yeah and like it's not like like other spider-man movies and other like like other superhero movies kind of touch on this sort of concept but like the thing is, is that what happened to him wasn't a choice. Right. Exactly. There wasn't a moment where he like had to choose between being on wasn't, time and saving someone's that's, life. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I agree with you because that's that's an issue that I have as well. Uh, and and it's really frustrating too because um, the I'm sorry. I feel like I keep saying it. It's really frustrating too because it's like I just keep thinking of more shit that annoys me. Um, they, I mean, they were trying to adapt the Spider-Man No More story arc, an mm-hmm. absolute classic arc from the 70s. Uh, John Romita Sr. drew the art, I believe. I mean, it's just that iconic Spider-Man. And they totally fucked it up because he didn't have those choices. During that story arc, him giving up being Spider-Man was actually like a big deal that you kind of believed, even though you knew he was going to be Spider-Man again. That's just how comics are. But... Um, 
It was because he kept encountering situations where he had to choose between being there for his loved ones or being, you know, Spider-Man and being there for people who don't even know who the fuck he is. And it was cool when he gave up. Whereas, yeah, in the movie, it was like, what? We don't get these moral dilemmas. Like, it's just stupid. Yeah. He, It's like, it's, yeah. like, he's just, you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> totally. Absolutely. Like, yeah exactly <laughs> that that's always been well, my okay. play with that movie i guess i guess this wasn't that much of a nuclear take for you no i have always been scared like i mean like i said i do appreciate that movie a little bit more now and i i i would still say that out of his sam raimi spider-man movies i think that the i the, think the first one is the one i like the most to be honest even though it has aged the poorest in terms of effects in those movies yeah it does um, it does look goofy it's, yeah it does. <laughs> it's a goofy looking movie <laughs> um but like in terms of the overall story it's probably one i enjoy the most spider-man 3 uh, spider-man 3 is a is like a wreck like spider-man yeah. 3 uh, and it was i was really intrigued by no way home even including sandman yeah because i was almost like they, i wonder if they'll just completely ignore that movie <laughs> like just ignore that continuity mm-hmm. um but they didn't they actually referenced it twice sandman, Toby even mentioned venom yeah sandman um, is actually probably in my opinion the best part of spider-man 3 he definitely was uh um, I, he didn't act like the character at all but he was definitely probably the best performance and he looked pretty cool too yeah and the thing with the Venom stuff, like, like I, I get that it's not Sam Raimi's favorite character, and he was trying to do something different. Um, and I, and I understand the concept he was playing with, and I ultimately don't hate it. But like, it's it's one of those choices where you like you see it, and you're like, there's just going to be so many people who aren't going to go along with this choice. It it almost like as interesting as it is, like it doesn't seem like it would truly benefit the material, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, I don't think it's a bad take. I just think it's the kind of take that's going to throw purists and people who actually love the Venom character off. Well, I agree with that. And the other thing that's like a bit absurd about casting Topher Grace is like, they still could have done what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, without like casting such a deliberately cho- like typecast person, he they picked a guy who was typecast in the same kinds of roles that Tobey Maguire was in. Yeah, um, and and that which... that was what they want. They did it on purpose. And I, yeah, yeah, I know they did. And it was just like, come on, guys, that's you're going too far with this, and it's just farcical. It's just farcical at that yeah. point. Um, however, I would say I liked Venom better than whatever the fuck they were doing with James Franco's Goblin. Like, which was insane. Yeah, like, that was honestly mad. that was that was really the thing that lost me. The hoverboard, yeah. Like that it wasn't was, even uh... that. It was like his entire plan. <laughs> was like this is the character we've been building up for three movies, right? And then when it comes down to his. Mary Jane, you're gonna break up with Spider-Man or I'll yeah. kill him. Yeah. And it's like, what? Right. Super villains are trying to kill 
Spider-Man all the fucking time, Mary Jane. How is this a valid threat? Yeah. Where are you going with this? It's not why why are you letting this motivate your behavior, Mary Jane? Like and that's the thing you can say about the second movie was at least they had a love triangle. So like mm-hmm. Mary Jane was conflicted. Yeah. But in the third movie, they were past that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there oh, was yeah. no there was no more or like possible romantic interest in harry so yeah it, it was really annoying that that would affect her at all i just god damn yeah it's kind of refreshing to talk to somebody that like is uh not arguing with me when i say like yeah i don't fucking like those movies anymore <laughs> hey man they they are not perfect they're not perfect i don't even like they're not even in my they're not even in my current top 10 of comic book or superhero movies, I don't think. Yeah, me neither. I mean, there's just been so much that's come out that's actually been good. Um, although that does play into the original meta narrative we had in the first podcast where we were talking about people's perception of art and why it feels like we don't agree with a lot of the popular opinions about things. Well, um, I mean, part of because it is I, just, uh... like my favorite. Oh, go on. Go no, on. no, what, no. I want to hear what your favorite is. I was just going to say my favorite favorite superhero movies tend to be ones that are either not very popular when it comes to like review scores or critic opinion or whatever or they are but nobody went to see them you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so yeah like like, what's what are some of your favorites uh i okay well i think we'll just start with an easy one logan i thought was probably one of the best comic book movies ever made yeah um it's in my top five that's a fucking that's just a good movie and and yeah. it happens to be a comic book movie um it really obviously is. we already talked about the batman i mean that's one of my top comic book movies now mm-hmm. in my top right. three yeah and so many people you know have have hated on it uh that yeah absurd I, which <laughs> Like, yeah, there's two camps of that, which is just, I hate the reboot and the, I don't get this movie, it's slow. Those those seem to be the two categories of people who don't like the Batman. Right. And I don't know how you could say that movie was slow. I mean, I felt like it was very well paced. Yeah. And the ending was like calorie burning. It was so stressful. I, I, I saw someone's post that basically implied they thought the movie was felt like it was on a sedative. That's a weird take that, you know, this is what I mean. Like how, how did, how did they watch the same movie? I mean, I mean, perspective is a powerful thing. You know, we all, we all come into every uh, movie or story with uh, our heads full of other movies and stories and our own ideas about characters. I have this, uh, I have this principle that I talk about sometimes on my podcast uh, that I call the infinite Jesus. Okay. Which is basically the idea is you take a church and you got a, whole, a room full of people who are all supposedly there for the same reason. All right. They're all there, go church, learn about Jesus. But the thing is, is that if we talk, if we like isolated every person in this church and we talk to them about what their actual thoughts on Jesus are, we're going to find that there is a spectrum of different like how Jesus is going to look different to all these different people. And that applies to almost all these uh, fictional characters as well. We're all coming into these, like, 
I remember, like, I used to get in fights with people online about people who were like, Christian Bale's not buff enough to be Batman. Which is, yeah, that's that's an absurd thing to say. Like, like I... (sighs) Like, I understand that some people are going to want Batman to look like Batman from The Dark Knight Returns. But, like, the thing is, is that Frank Miller has an impressionistic art style that does not resemble actual human anatomy. Well, and that's and, okay for the story he's telling. And it's also bizarre because, I mean, they said the same thing about Pattinson. It, Pattinson, I mean, it, it's yeah. bizarre because we're talking about a stealthy martial arts detective guy yeah. who uses gadgets why would he be this like massive you know what i mean like it doesn't even yeah. suit the character like do you want a giant to be a ninja like it doesn't make any sense like the you truth know? is is that the uh, barrel-chested batman like body type actually comes from like weird 1940s aesthetics sure right it's not it's not practical right <laughs> so so but yeah no it it's it, it like, but like some people, like that idea of Batman being like the ultimate athlete, that's like a, that's like a part of Batman to them. Well, and you can still be, you know, an Olympic yeah. level athlete no, absolutely. and not be a, I mean, look at gymnasts, they're buff, yeah. but they're not totally. like humongous, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. They're not the mountain from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. But like, I do feel like perspective plays a huge part in how we absorb our stories and i think that's why i I don't believe there's ever going to be total consensus on like on these types of things and i feel like that's kind of a big like i feel like that's kind of both a frustrating but also kind of like an awesome thing at the same time if that makes any sense i mean i understand what you're saying (laughs) okay I'm just, I'm just, it's like, I don't know. I, it doesn't, that, that's almost discouraging. Like if I were to accept that, because there are so many, there are so many different takes on these characters Mm -hmm. and I am capable as you are. And, you know, many of my other friends, and we're not just talking about mainstream fandom. I mean, I'm talking about novels and even even bands who have oh, yeah. gone in different directions over the course of their career. And you're able to appreciate every era and like mm-hmm. every part of it, accepting that it's maybe different. Yeah, no, that's... Than what you're used to. But these people can't even get that far. <laughs> no, okay, yeah. No, that's I different, was, I hate it. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, was, I was specifying like in a positive way, but you're absolutely right. That negative aspect of, totally exists to the thing that I'm saying, which is that people do... Um, because people are trapped in their perspective, many people become uh, dogmatic or just like resistant to other interpretations of characters. Right. And uh, that's that's sort of the thing I'm actually trying to speak against and whatnot. Um, oh, I know you are. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm not accusing you of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but like, yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a thing. It's a big thing. Like, like, I mean, like, honestly, just to like, and we should, we should, we've been talking for almost three hours now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't know when you wanted to cut this off. Uh, but uh, I have no, I don't think about things like that, but you know, I should be practical. Uh, but, but I do want to just touch on, uh, so, so like we talked a little bit about like Man of Steel mm-hmm. uh, last time. And like, and like Man of Steel actually I th- is unironically um, kind of the Superman movie that I kind of enjoy the most. And like, 
in 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 weird for weird context like my favorite superman comic is all-star superman which is not the same type of thing at all no but i uh, actually really enjoyed all-star superman oh yeah all-star superman's great but it's like a very but like grant morrison's doing like a very like specific thing with the way he's telling that story and when yeah, i watch man of steel it's, it still felt like a grant morrison story yeah oh I yeah know. totally absolutely uh, i love grant morrison though i do t- i like i would say i like 90 percent of his stuff i don't like everything but I like a lot of it. I haven't read everything, so I can't claim to like everything. Um, although I can't think of anything of his that has specifically disappointed me off the top of my head. Um, I, uh, his Batman for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's not, I didn't hate it, but uh, there was some stuff he did with Batman. I was kind of like... Wait, with, with Bruce Wayne or with Dick Grayson as Batman? Because... Mostly he wrote Dick Grayson's Batman. Right, and uh, Damian Wayne was the yeah. sidekick. Although yeah. he did he did bring <laughs> Bruce Wayne back. Uh, I know, I remember. Which I, I have that Return of Bruce Wayne book around here somewhere, which I actually really like. Um, or Journey, what is it called? The Return of Bruce Wayne? Journey Home or something? The one where he's traveling through time. Uh, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, right, so but my, so like, but I do genuinely love Man of Steel. And I, the thing is, is that when I watch Man of Steel, I, I see a lot more, uh, like, I don't know, I guess I see like a lot more hope in that movie uh, than you do, which is, which is interesting. Well, hang on, because when we did talk about Man of Steel, I did not say I hated that movie. Oh, and okay. I, in fact, I think I praised it. I think it was a. I think it was really cool in a lot of ways, and it did a lot that I really, really, really liked. My issues with Superman really stem. I mean, in the DCEU, I mean, really stem from Batman v Superman and the well, what was at the time the Joss Whedon cut, but that mm-hmm. was obviously improved in the Snyder cut. Man yeah. of Steel, I don't have a lot of problems with. I do kind of wish that they didn't have all the collateral damage i wish we saw superman just do more simple hero things just because i think that's a part of his character but overall i liked man of steel so okay yeah so i will say though um so that one specific thing is is that like in a recent rewatch i actually sort of thought about that um the thing about um is the fact that the film is a very concentrated story um, it's very much focused on a specific thing, which is Superman sort of like coming out to the world. Right. Um, and so like, it, when I thought about that, like the thing is, is that like n- a thing we don't think about as much with movies is that not, not every comic book is going to show you every aspect of the character because, you know, how can they and, and whatnot. So I, so I guess my point was that I never, I didn't need, I didn't need the saving cats from trees as much because it just didn't feel like that's what the story was about to me. I understand that. I, I'm looking at it from the the position of a reboot and we're talking about, okay, so this is supposed to be chronologically the first Superman movie. Yeah. And comparing it to the Nolan Batman trilogy, Mm-hmm. And how Batman Begins set a new precedent for Batman. True. Um, in the in Batman Begins, we do see Batman do 
a bunch of Batman shit. I mean, obviously he wasn't much of a detective in those movies. That was pretty lacking, but we see him save people. We see him refuse to kill. We see how he's trained and we see how he decides to become Batman and design every aspect of himself. Like the, the movie immerses us in, okay, so this is Batman. This is what we can expect from this Batman. So from that perspective, that's just something that I wanted in Man of Steel. Like, show us Superman, you know, and what we can expect from Superman. I mean, because, like I said, a lot of what Man of Steel did was cool. I liked the way a lot of things looked. I did think the uh, martial arts scene with uh, Kal-El's dad and Jor-El and uh, Zod was pretty uh, unnecessary. <laughs> but but um, other than that, I liked the Krypton stuff. I liked the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, I don't know. I just wanted more like of the charming aspects of Clark. So, (laughs) I mean, it's possible we might. So, like, are you? Do you know? Do you know the story behind how Batman v Superman got made? I don't know if I know the whole story. Um, Well, the part that is connected to what we've just been talking about is that Zack Snyder was originally going to make just Man of Steel two, right? And Warner Brothers came to him and they were like, "Okay, we want you to put." We want you to put a Batman cameo in it to set up to set up the next Batman movie. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. And then they came back to him later and they were like, okay, we want, we've decided what we really want is Batman versus Superman, a movie we've been trying to make for a really long time. And we just haven't been able to get it made. And so they then asked him and Chris Terrio and Batman and, and all them to make that movie. And he said yes. And maybe he shouldn't have said yes to yeah, that. But I, I do really actually have the love worst Batman ideas. versus Superman. But was, maybe... it also, was it also their idea for Lex Luthor to deliver someone a jar of piss? I, <laughs> I, I, I can understand why that some people wouldn't be down with that part. but That was I, so absurd and ridiculous. I didn't know whether I should laugh or... Well, why not? Or what is this? A, is this a funny scene? What is this? Well, that's how she knows she's about to die. But yeah, uh, I'm not, not going to lie. I did not have a problem with that scene. Of course you didn't. Uh, I you you like the fucking singing on the beach and, and, and sniffing sweaters and uh, <laughs> yes, I understand. You, you like that I, I felt like this was more re- relevant than that. I will say that. Um, but, uh, but, but so a thing that came out a little while ago, like a year or two ago, was actually um, one of the producers on the original Batman versus Superman that was going to be made by, um, uh, what's his name? Wolfgang Peterson, okay. the guy who did Troy. Okay. He was going to make Batman v Superman. But like the producer on that actually came out later and like revealed that it would have been an even more depressing dark movie. <laughs> like it was literally going to be a version where like all Batman's friends were dead, not just Robin. Uh, Superman's going through a divorce. See, okay, so why wouldn't they just make a a Dark Knight uh, Returns movie? Um, you know, well, people, why wouldn't they just adapt the Frank Miller comic and just be done with it? Just well, because adapt that's... that comic. Just well, go ahead. Well, make I mean, a live action version of that. Well, <laughs> it's partly because of Warner Brothers' demands to make a shared universe. It's just so dumb. 
Well, I mean, the thing is, is that they the never successfully ideas. they never successfully figured out how to do it, and they kept hiring people who weren't actually super interested in doing it. Well, and they, like, I don't understand why they were so insistent on it in the first place. Why not just adapt iconic DC stories into movies? I mean, well, it would like th- see. This is what I mean about a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they never tried to fuck around with this, and we had only movies like the Batman and Joker and maybe like the proper cut of Justice League would have come out and you know it would be fine because they weren't trying to imitate Marvel at all they were doing their own DC shit like when I say that they don't have a sense of identity this is exactly what I'm talking about and they can't even do this right they can't even copy someone else's homework yeah I mean like so that's the thing Zack Snyder's talked about is that when Warner Brothers came to him uh, he they wanted they would like tell him that they wanted like it to be like Marvel and he'd be like, well I don't think we should just copy what Marvel's doing they seem to have that on lock. He was like I didn't want to make that movie because Marvel already makes these great action adventure comedies and that's not really the, so like why would I want to imitate them I'll just look like I'm imitating them right and so he, he has tried a point. to make so we got a guy trying to make his own thing and we got a studio who's just constantly trying to hammer it into the shape that they want and it's oh man just recipes for disaster man yeah i mean it like i said every every detail that you tell me that i didn't already know it's like wow that's a terrible idea yeah every single one has been a bad idea (laughs) yeah no it's 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 amazing like warner brothers just doesn't like one gets the impression that warner brothers executives aren't that smart and that warner brothers executives tend to their model for success is to hire directors that they trust and when those directors deliver they proceed to give those directors more work and as long as it doesn't go crazy on them they don't get involved but the second they get involved shit starts going bananas and like this is not even just borne out by like their dc movies but like even stuff like, uh, like we talked about the Matrix Resurrection last time. Yeah. Like, the studio was forcing them to make that movie. Right. Just... Well, I mean, this this brings up something I don't think we deliberately got to, but I mean, just to add to the um, exploration of how and why people interpret art in the ways that they do. I mean... There is, I, I think, the soullessness of these projects, you know, when it when they they completely exist because of corporate desire without any thought put into it beyond how can we make money comes through in the product. And I think maybe people kind of can detect that. Yeah. I mean, like, I love the I love a lot of the DC movies, but like frequently i find myself loving them in spite of a studio's best efforts to destroy them <laughs> like even, yeah, even that's, what it's, that's, that's what it sounds like i mean it sounds I, none of these decisions make any sense like, <laughs> like from even, the outside in. <laughs> like even wonder woman um even wonder woman which we both admitted that we both really really like yeah wonder woman's third act feels a little hollow 
Yeah, and the f- and and that's because fight, Jeff Johns rewrote it. Of course. Like that's the thing that's been admitted is that Jeff Johns rewrote the ending of Wonder Woman also. Well, that explains why it's so disjointed at the end because that's my least favorite part of the movie. It's everybody's least because like the final fight just sort of happens. Yeah. And and so yeah, like that's that's a thing that's been confirmed after the fact is that the studio the studio made them change the ending. Jeff Johns rewrote it. And uh, so they just, they couldn't, like, the thing about Man of Steel is it's the only one of those movies where the studio wasn't just, like, fucking around with them. And that's, that's what it is at the end, you know? They just, Warner Brothers just couldn't help themselves at any turn to not fuck around with it. And, <laughs> and like, it's shown in so many of their movies from... From Green Lantern to Jonah Hex, Catwoman, the Tim Burton bet that how the Tim Burton Batman movies transition to the Joel Schumacher movies. And it just goes on and on. Like part of me feels bad. Part of me is worried about where Discovery will take the brands that Warner Brothers previously owned. But at the same time, like there's an element of like Warner Brothers kind of been doing this to themselves for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I the the only drag of it is, you know, I do want to see good DC movies. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, they happen. I, it's just I don't, but I don't feel bad for Warner Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah, same. that's what I mean. They're accidents. The good ones are like by by mistake. <laughs> yeah, they're either by mistake or because the director just fought so hard for so long to get it out there, and and like even fucking what is it? Uh, Oh, I lost it. I was just thinking of another movie. And I... Oh, the Joker. Like, yeah, Warner Brothers Joker. didn't want to make that movie. I know. Like, if it hadn't been such a low budget project, and if like they they like sold a quarter of the movie to what is it roadside attractions to finance the film. So like twenty five percent of that billion dollars goes to roadside attractions because. Warner Brothers couldn't be bothered to give them to fully fund the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why they would have thought otherwise. The Joker is like, this is, I mean, they have to be stupid. They have to be stupid or they have never engaged with any of their intellectual properties on a personal level because anyone who knows anything about Batman and anyone who knows anything about comic books really knows who the Joker is. And he's one of the most popular villains. Like Possibly a lot of people ever. would go see a Joker movie. Yeah. Like that's a, that's obvious. Like, yeah, of course they would. If you made a Magneto movie, people would go see it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. why would they think that a Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix and like a, an Al Pacino you know what I mean? Like, who would think, oh, no, that's... Oh, yeah, Robert um, De Niro. Or Robert De Niro, thank you. Who would think that that's not, not a cool idea? Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> yeah, like, you know what? Yeah, no, it's it's all insane. But we should probably wrap things up here. I feel yeah, like I could yeah, probably okay. talk to you for a, uh extremely long period of time. Well, we, we could do it again sometime. I did want to talk to you about um, people's... Uh, like reactions to adaptations of 
things that aren't comic books like sure. the rings of power oh yeah we were um, going to talk about House that we will Dragon. have but we, we I can do that some other time yeah we'll have to do that another time <laughs> that is something i'd love to talk to you about though because internet is ridiculous yeah um, it's crazy but i think uh in terms of the conversation we've had today i think I, I think i have a pretty good quote to leave us with and i may have even mentioned this before but one of the producers when they were trying to reboot Superman after Christopher Reeves died, said that he wanted to cast Sean Penn as Superman. Hmm. And the reason he said he wanted to do that was because Sean Penn had the eyes of a killer. <laughs> Hollywood producers, man. That's Out of their mind. fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It is. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening, your audience. Once again, I'm sorry that we don't have the best connection, but I enjoy talking. Maybe we'll, we'll have to do an in-person one is what we'll have to do. Yeah, that sounds good. So we can get the sound right. Uh, but uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is tell other people to listen to it. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, uh, so thank you for listening. All right, let's say goodbye to the people. All right. Goodbye, people. Later days. Hey, Josh Whedon. This is, uh, this is Kevin Feige. And frankly, I just want to, I'm glad I caught you on the phone. Just wanted to say uh, we're loving what you're doing with, uh, with Age of Ultron so far. Um, but uh, there's a couple things. Uh, first of all, too many people are landing with their face in, in, uh, in Black Widow's boobs. We're going to need you to scale that back. Okay. Okay. Just just Bruce Banner. Okay. I guess that'll guess that'll be fine. Uh, all right. Okay. Cool. The uh, the other reason I, I I'm the other thing we're gonna need to scale back, Joss, is just okay. I know. I know you don't take notes, but I know you. Joss Whedon, this is I'm fucking Kevin Feige. Okay. Okay. You're gonna fucking do what I say. You're gonna put in the goddamn Thor Ragnarok setup scenes. In your fucking movie, or we're gonna take out your farm scene. Yeah, no, I know you love your farmhouse scene, Joss, but guess what? It's crap, and we hate it. Okay, so you either put in the Thor Ragnarok setup stuff, or you're done. Okay, there. That. How do we do that? No, I will not put an exchange where you put more people's faces and boobs. Joss, I don't. I don't think that's the feminist joke you think it is. Okay, are we good? Okay, we're good. Now, if you'll excuse me, Joss, I have to go. Ike Promoter is calling me back to his office to complain about minorities. You are so lucky. You are so lucky that old piece of shit loves your boob jokes, Joss. <laughs>